geez, I don't want that on there. How do you stop the other thing? I don't want the other thing. Oh, here we go. Oh, there it went. See, I, uh, my wife uh, heard this today in the, in the car, or she thought of it today, so I wanted to play it for the beginning of the show. If it's working. Oh, it's not. While I was walking down the beach one bright and sunny day, I saw a great big wooden box a-floating in the bay. I pulled it in and opened it up, and much to my surprise, ooh, I discovered a... Right before my eyes, ooh, I discovered a... Right before my eyes, I picked it up and ran to town as happy as a king. I took it to a guy I knew who'd buy most anything. But this is what he hollered at me as I walked in his shop. Oh, get out of here with that. Before I call a cop. Oh, get out of here with that. Before I call a cop. I turned around and got right out of running for my life. And then I took it home with me to give it to my wife. But this is what she hollered at me as I walked in the door. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. I wandered all around the town until I chanced to meet a hobo who was looking for a handout on the street. He said he'd take most any old thing. He was a desperate man. But when I showed him the, he turned around and ran. Oh, when I showed him the, he turned around and ran. I wandered on for many years, a victim of my fate, until one day I came upon St. Peter at the gate. And when I tried to take it inside, he told me where to go. Get out of here with that. And take it down below. Oh, get out of here with that. And take it down below. The moral of the story is if you're out on the beach and you should see a great big box and it's within your reach, don't ever stop and open it up. That's my advice to you. Cause you'll never get rid of them. No matter what you do. Oh, you'll never get rid of them. No matter what you do. interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, 
Can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso? Yeah, I almost forgot I was doing a show. I was just listening to all the music. Uh, it's Radio Mysterioso uh, back here again live. Last week I had a flu or something, and I think I'm still fighting it off. And uh, for some stupid reason, an ill-advised reason being ill, I also brought um, a Belgian beer that is uh, that has, uh, uh, what is it? Um, it has, has grapefruit juice in it. It's wonderful. And it's still kind of warm here, so it's perfect. And uh, if you can hear me, uh, we got Red Pill Junkie here. Can you hear me there? I think I can hear you. Can okay, you hear let me, me turn okay? that down. There we go. All right. Whoa! <laughs> Stop it! Okay, here we go. <laughs> How you been? Oh, I've been wonderful. Yeah, uh, well, last week you wrote and said, I just got back from the Paradigm Symposium, and my, and, yeah, my arms are sure tired. And you wanted to talk to me about it, and I, I wasn't feeling well, which is unfortunate. Have you talked to anybody else about it yet on, on, uh, on a show? Well, not really. I'm supposed to do something of a wrap-up with my friends, Darren and Graham, that's Darren Grimes and Graham Dunlop who are uh, making uh, a podcast called oh, okay. The Grimerica Show. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard of it. I might yeah. have even been on it. I don't know. You've been on it? Maybe. I'm not sure. The thing is, I've heard of so many podcasts, listened to a few of them, and been on some of them, but I can't remember whether I was on them, on them or not. It's been going uh, for a I while, right? So. Yeah. Well, they've been, I mean, they were inspired by... Uh, uh, the first Paradigm Symposium in 2012, you know, to start their own podcast, you know. I mean, they're, they're friends of, they've been fans of uh, Mysterious Universe in Australia and our uh, common friend Micah Hanks, yeah. who has his own, well, <laughs> I don't know, I think that Micah uh, starts a new podcast every other week by now, <laughs> you know. He has the Grillian Report and yeah. the Micah Hanks Show. And he has a common podcast with Jim Harold. Yeah. Uh, so these guys, uh, they decided to start their own podcast. And can, they, uh, they kind of invited me along, you know, to be like their like the third uh, semi-regular host of their show. And I've tried to help them along as, as much as I can. And anyway, they were like the official podcast during the, the whole symposium thing. And they, well, they conducted a lot of uh, uh, interviews while on the event. They've released a bunch of them, I think like nine by now. And, well, uh, it's been great, you know. It's kind of a, like showing how going to these kind of events not only is about, you know, uh, passively uh, absorbing information that you might have, you might well find out online, you know, uh, for free, and you don't have to go for all the trouble of spending a couple of hundred of dollars attending to these events and staying in some hotel. But also it's about inspiring people to, to, to be more active in their own quest or uh, searching for the answers that uh, we are all yearning to, to, to find out, you know? Yeah. We, we talked about this, I think, probably you and I, about mm -hmm. uh, that. <laughs> when you talk about looking for answers, it's, it's, 
always going to be different for different people. I'm not going to do yeah. an introduction unless you want to, because if people don't know who you are, they probably wouldn't even be listening to this show. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Somebody asked earlier, one of the listeners, Alex, he said, well, who's Red Pill Junkie? I said, he's kind of a, hard to describe, but he's, um, he, he started out as kind of a super commenter on a lot of uh, UFO and paranormal sites, and he, that's morphed into... Uh, him being sort of a personality and uh, really good guest to have on to really kick around new, you know, new cool good ideas. So he said he'd be listening. And, <laughs> and we've remember, like about a year ago, I said, "Do you want to come on my show?" And you said, "Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I really want to be on any show." <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> this is kind of a like a testament of, uh, if anything, you know, of uh, my own personal growth to the fact that. The first time you asked me to, I, I acted like the, the veritable wuss, and I chickened out, and I said, no, 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 I don't want to be in there. And then, you know, <laughs> I started to get more involved uh, in the paranormal community, thanks to Micah and Paradigm Symposium, and my friends, uh, Darren and Graham, who, who invited me along to their podcast. So I t started to uh, feel more comfortable comfortable with my English and all that, and then you invited me along, and after that, I was a guest on uh, the Paracast show with Gene oh, yeah. and Chris, and, you know, in the last Paradigm Symposium, I, uh, even Micah uh, asked me to be a part of a little UFO panel, you know, there at the stage, you know, and, and uh, to my surprise, I said yes, you know, and it was... It was a lot of fun, so if anything, you know, it seems that i turning much more confident in trying to have a, I don't know, more active role in this type of paranormal scene. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, you're doing probably in a better format what, what people kind of said uh, would ask. Well, actually, when they ask you, are you a ufologist, what do you say? No, that I'm as, uh, I always say, uh, you know, a, friend, uh, a guy who attended the Paradigm Symposium actually interviewed me for his uh, YouTube channel. Yeah, one of our listeners the, actually um, uh, linked it uh, on the, on the uh, Facebook site. Oh, okay. So he asked me, okay, so you, what kind of uh, like uh, title or label do you want me to put on? And I said, well, you know, I'm a blogger. And if someone asks me, oh, are you a theologist? I think that will be something of an insult <laughs> to, to people who actually doing the legwork, you know, who have gone and, and done the work, the hard work of going on the field and, and interviewing witnesses and all that. If anything, I'm, I feel like I'm something of a student of ufology. Yeah. I, I people say that now, and I uh, I came up with this a few years ago. I think I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually think you are much more than that, Greg. You know. Oh well, thank you. But you yeah, have I, been a huge influence for pe for people like me, people like Micah Hanks. You know, uh, you you've been uh, saying a lot of important things that I feel right now are becoming much more relevant in the discussion. Yeah. You, oh, you know what's uh, funny is that, uh, did you see that Robbie Graham thing about disclosure is dead? Oh, did I? Yeah, I even linked that to the Daily Grail. I added some of, of my own thoughts on an, an op-ed, you know. I, I actually wrote, this is the best thing that I've 
uh, read all week, pro probably all year. You know, I was all cheering and, and really rooting for the for the the ballsiness, you know, of, of saying those things. And he even delivered that uh, uh, same paper on an exopolitics conference and all places, you know. Oh, well, good for him. I was reading it and I was realizing we've been talking about that stuff, guests and, and me and um, in the forums for like two or three years. The yes. Exact, almost the exact same stuff. And we're not the only ones. But he mm -hmm. finally took all this stuff and put it together in one kind of manifesto almost. Exactly. Very eloquently put yeah. in that little uh, post of his. Yeah. When, when you said that there's a lot of stuff that isn't new but it hasn't, nobody's really listened to it for a while. That's what, it, that's what I thought of first. It's like, wow, these ideas have been bouncing around for a while, but the exopolitics people, don't, of course, don't say anything about it. And mm -hmm. the, uh, um, the, the UFO, like the mainstream of the UFO research community are kind of hooked their, what, hitched their star to that for a while until I think recently they got, uh, it's fallen out of favor a little bit, at least with MUFON and people. Or unless I'm wrong, is MUFON still all into it? I don't know. I mean, I think there's still people trying to cling to the whole nuts and bolts aspect of ufology. But I, I, I think there are, you know, the risks to be left out. I mean, uh, and at, at the last Paradigm Symposium, you know, one of the speakers was Richard Dolan. And it was great to, to, to be able to meet him in person for the first time and also to, to realize that he also is moving forward moving forward and start to considering how aspects like, uh, I don't know, psi phenomena and consciousness is a key aspects that have been left out and that they need to be addressed and to be, you know, uh, put at, right at the top of the things that we really need to consider in order to try to really start to understand the phenomena. Just a fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, the the field changes and it should change and it should probably change radically. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the other thing. I think the last couple times you've been on, that's what we talked about. It's basically kind of getting rid of the large groups, um, concentrating on small groups with their own agendas, and communicating a little bit. You know, kind of through the internet and and keeping the communication open. And also, if you have a little small group and hopefully it doesn't get and turn into a big group, you don't have this large territory to defend. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a little bit easier to you know, interact with other people and listen to... I mean, it's hard to get people to, to consider anybody else's opinion usually, but sort of act as kind of an open research community where almost anything, as long as it seems to be reasonable... I don't know what reasonable is, is uh, thrown back and forth so that people can look at it. And, you know, and, uh, and the other part of it I think we talked about was taking all the databases and messing with them until patterns start to emerge or, or throwing different things at them and seeing what sticks or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, I don't know if you by now have been able to listen to the last uh, appearance of Jacques Vallée on Coast to Coast when he was interviewed by George, Na George Knapp. I heard part of it, and I liked hearing what Vallée said, but I, George Knapp drove me crazy. Oh, no, it was, <laughs> it was Knapp. That's right. Because yeah. I think he was, on with, um, he was on with Nori once, and that's the one that drove me crazy. 
No, no, no. I'm talking about this one. I think it was in mm, late August or yes. maybe early September. Yeah. Uh, uh, I will be completely honest. I have not really listened to it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I haven't listened to it is because I'm extremely frustrated with myself for not contacting Valet and interviewing him on my show. Well, I don't know, man. You you should really <laughs> get up on your ass and try to, to, to reach him. I mean... Because uh, I, uh, I think Knapp would probably be one of the few perfect people I would think of to talk to him. Sure. I mean, uh, uh, my friend and mentor, Greg Taylor, you know, of, uh, who is running the, uh, Daily Grail, is republishing Passport to Magonia. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really huge. And I, I also think that uh, Anomalies Publishing is also republishing The Secret College. Oh, yeah, the Invisible College. The Invisible College, yes, thank you. So, uh, you know, ballet is uh, uh, more prevalent than ever, you know, <laughs> I feel in the last yeah, 20 years might, or so. Might be, might be a good idea to talk to him now. I, and exactly. also, it's one of those things where it would be like if you were the biggest fan of something and then somebody said, okay, you can talk to him and talk about whatever you want. And I've mm-hmm. talked to him privately, and I don't have any problem with that. But if other people are listening, I'm going to get all nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know what I mean. <laughs> I think that Robbie is going to meet him. I think that Robbie, uh, maybe I should uh, discuss this, but he's going to be at SLN next year. Yeah. And uh, Valet is also going to attend. Oh, that's great. What is, what yeah. is the, uh, what kind of, it's some, I'm sure it's some private conference because that's all they have there. Exactly. So, so some kind of thing that is uh, not really uh, public. And I think that the problem with SLN is that they don't release their conference on online. Uh, I kind of maybe think that might be a good idea. I think so, yeah. Um, because if pe- when people get together that are really good at what they do, mm-hmm. I think it's a lot better that they speak privately about it first before they decide to say anything publicly because a lot of ideas... I mean, it sounds elitist and horrible and all that, but a lot of ideas that could be very important, if they have the freedom to be thrown around without anybody worrying who's saying what or I mean, if somebody's going to say something about it later or you know, mm-hmm. whatever, it, I think it helps. I, I, I hate to say it, but I think it helps. Yeah, I think you, yeah, you, you, you do have a very important point, yeah. Because people sometimes, in this day and age, man, you know, and people who are trying to, to nitpick and take whatever you say out of context, you yeah. know, especially in this now, the people are so mindful of being oh, politically correct every single time you, you, you open your mouth. Yeah. Sometimes that may be against... Uh, Hinder opening com- up new, new discussions, right? Yeah. yeah, it would hinder communication, I think, even subconsciously, of course. And, and yeah, exactly. You are self-censoring yourself. Yeah, Perf- that's the perfect, yeah, perfect uh, description of it. Mm-hmm. For somebody whose English is a second language, I might add. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, something of a... It really feels like we are living in something of an Orwellian society right now, you know, especially after now that we are so aware that everything we share online is being, you know, also 
being reviewed and being examined by uh, uh, all these secret agencies. You know, we live now in the post-Snowden era, and yeah. maybe maybe that was part of it. You know, maybe that was part of the thing that uh, this this whole thing broke down. That we are now so mindful of <laughs> any uh, any everything everything that we share online. You know, we are starting to self-censor in ourselves. I I've seen myself, you know, try. Uh, you know, thinking twice about whatever I think I choose to 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 post online on Twitter on, on or on my blogs. Yeah. I don't know if you felt the same way. Uh, almost all the time. Mm. I'll see somebody say something and I start to type something out, and I back it up and I hit stop and I leave it because I don't want it's it's. I realize how useless it is to respond to people that are one have their minds made up who may not know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And they may take it as something, you know, horrible. And something sometimes I want to say something horrible, and I pull that back, too. Well, to me, it's horrible. Yeah. You know, and it, I, I kind of don't like it. But if I was sitting with that person that made the comment one-to-one somewhere or talking on the phone or like we're doing here, um, even though people are listening, I wouldn't be <laughs> as hesitant to say something, especially mm-hmm. if it was private. Um, because... The only thing you take away from that conversation, is, well, the main thing you take away is what, what the conclusion was, if there was any. It's like, oh, I learned this from this person, or you know, he didn't listen to me, or whatever. And there's not somebody in the outside interpreting it for you and saying, you know, you know, cheerleading, cheerleading you when you're doing something that's probably wrong, maybe, or denigrating you when there was a, there was a good idea there. And, and all all that stuff, you know, all, all that's like you said, it's 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 self censorship, not just with um, intelligence agencies, like you said, and other people, and you know, and maybe even more ominously, uh, 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 marketing and and things like that. Yeah. But also, uh, what other people might think, what people say, what kind of troll you're going to pick up. I just read an article <laughs> about. Yeah, I just read an article about this woman that wrote a book. A, a, a uh, she 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 wrote up her experience. She wrote a book, a fictional book. And it was reviewed by somebody online, and it was the the review was was really nasty, and mm. it's it said the book was misogynist, and it it, it was uh, what did she say? And it was uh, it uh, didn't it, it didn't show enough concern for uh, the subject of rape, and a whole bunch of it was written by a woman. The book was written by a woman, mm. and the woman read the review, and she goes, "I don't even talk about that stuff in the book. What are they talking about?" Yeah, and people and she said people started. Um, referencing that review and their reviews of the book by somebody who hadn't even read the thing and who was who was obviously just trying to cause a problem a troll mm-hmm. and um you know in the in the the first thing that all of our you know writing friends or a publisher or whatever or the you know the, the webmaster said was don't respond absolutely yeah. do not respond and she did yeah. and it turned into a huge problem for her but she just kept responding and reading what the woman said and more and more. And she finally tracked her down and, and found where she lived. And it wasn't actually that woman. It was somebody taking on her persona. It was really horrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, some, and you don't realize that some people live just to be nasty. Online. Yeah, I remember online, anyway. back in yeah back in those the, the, the old euphemistic ways when I just 
didn't mind spending whole weeks discussing, you know, uh, getting back and forth with this guy. You remember him, this, the guy who used the, the hand the sage? Yes, yeah, that, that, guy was, that, that guy was a very high-level troll, I think. I guess, because, you know, even if I decided to concede a small point and say, okay, you, I think you're right in this, in this point, <laughs> he will go back and say, no, <laughs> you're wrong. So th there wasn't any way to win. So right now, when I see something uh, that I don't agree with, you know, I really think twice about trying to engage and I, say, uh, and I think to myself, do I really want to spend so much time and effort, you know, trying not too much to convince someone to trying to, you know, to, to, to raise a point to someone and, uh, uh, and, you know, and the backlash that that might ensue. And, you know, it's, uh, sometimes and you say, you know, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. These guys, these guys wants to think that way. So let it be so, you know. Yeah, how many times you get in discussion with somebody and it's because and the whole point of most discussions now or arguments is I'm going to convince you of my how right I am about whatever this viewpoint is and you're yeah. going to agree with me whereas where we know that's nearly impossible. I mean it yeah. probably is impossible to change somebody's mind on something during the course of a discussion. Yeah. I only think that I do need feel to 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 step in when someone decides to attack and uh, people I care about, you know, my friends. Yeah. You know, like Micah, Hanks, or Scotty Roberts. Yeah. You know, who is uh, the the guy who is organizing the Paradigm Symposium. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you've uh, uh, heard about it, but there was something of a, uh, a, a big controversy just days before the, the, the Paradigm Symposium started regarding one of the ones who was one to be one of their main speakers, you know, Eric Von Daniken. Uh, I heard something about it. I also heard that one of the sponsors dropped out like very soon before and you had to scra they had to scramble and try and get some more sponsorship. Yeah, uh, that is one of the things that Scotty uh, told me. Uh, I'm not in, I don't really feel that I should speak for him, but uh, the thing is that... Uh, they had a big dropout from one of their main sponsors, you know, just at the last minute, you know. Yeah. They, they, they found themselves with a, a huge uh, hole in, their, in, in, in the money that they needed in order, in order to pull this off. Yeah. And for a, a moment, they were really considering, you know, to just to cancel the whole thing. And I, I think that you... Uh, you who were f a friend with Gene Mosley, you know, who uh, was a f uh, um, someone who tried to uh, pull together, organize these UFO conferences back in the heyday, you know, what UFOs were still something of a more, uh, more of a mainstream topic. Yeah. And he also <laughs> found himself, you know, losing money instead of, uh, you know, making a profit. Oh, it's so, really yeah. hard to make money on these things, and it's a real labor of love, and it probably takes a while unless you're really smart, which I know the guys that work on this thing that you work with are very smart. It's really hard to, to make a go of it, and you really, really have to want to do it really badly. And exactly. have to, you know, work your butt off to the point of exhaustion and maybe, you know, whatever else, financial ruin, just to get the things off the ground. So I know how yeah. horribly hard it is, which is why I've never really tried. I've gotten close a few times. I was like, I can't. I'm going to start wanting to put money in it, and I'll lose a ton of money. 
Exactly. You know, there, there was some uh, uh, article that was, I think it was posted, uh, I can't remember where, that uh, it was titled like, uh, is ufology dead or the death of ufology? You know, it can uh, make a, a lot of rounds in the community. Yeah. And the, this guy who, who went to the, uh, I think there was to the MUFON conference, and he saw that, you know, the, the numbers of people attending were dwindling and say, well, you know, this is obviously a sign that people are not interested in the UFOs anymore. And it was such an such a moronic yeah. argument to make, you know. Because yeah, they're not interested in that presentation of it. Exactly. And also because the fact that, you know, uh, maybe... 20, 30 years ago, people were really wanting to attend these conferences because there wasn't something called the Internet yeah. in which you were able to find all this information online for free. Yeah. You know, and also because, you know, uh, let's be honest, uh, sometimes you don't, uh, uh, maybe the younger generations are... Uh, in, in uh, trying to make pay, uh, trying to pay their college debts or whatever you know yeah. and, and maybe they're not able to to spend five or four four days of their vacations or whatever trying to to go to this to, to, to these conferences and spend i don't know from five hundred to a thousand dollars you know just to 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 go to these uh, UFO conference. It doesn't mean that people are not interested in UFOs. It means that maybe people are having second thoughts or don't are, are not uh, able to 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 uh, to really go or, or maybe don't see the point in go and uh, be there on face to face and uh, listen to to these speakers uh, who whose work is so available online nowadays. Yeah. Well, it, it's, see, the, the paradigm symposium, I think they did fairly well. That contact in the desert thing does really well. Oh, yeah. The last couple of years. I don't, I, I don't really care to go to that one because there was nobody there I really wanted to see speak. But a lot of people did want to go see people speak there. And the other thing is it's in a center of, of huge, right near a huge center of population where you've got um, I mean, people came from all over the world, but I think the bulk of the people came from Southern California. Mm -hmm. And that's great. I mean, if they can make a go of it and they can do well with it, that's fine. I, don't, I think there was precious little said there that was very useful, at least to me. Um, but it, it's, it's it, like you said, it's, not, it, it's, it's stupid to say that the, the live conference is dead. That's just, that's just wrong. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm, one of the things that I love the most about the Parliament Symposium is that the things that happen outside of the conferences, you yeah. know, the, the, the atmosphere that, that, that is created uh, in the hotel lobby and uh, when people are, you know, just hanging out uh, uh, after the, the, the presentations. Yeah. I mean, seeing, uh, seeing all this, uh, two of my friends, uh, a guy named Jesse Rocha, uh, uh, he, he's, uh, he's been involved in the Paradigm Symposium since, since the first one, 
uh, another guy, Dave Sanchez. They, they, these guys brought up their guitars, you know, and they yeah. start making, you know, all these uh, guitar concerts right in the middle of the lobby, you know. Yeah, and all the people are, are, you know, hanging around, singing, are clapping, you know, singing along. Yeah. And, and you see someone like uh, Richard Dolan, you know, sitting there, you know, enjoying the, this spontaneous concert. Yeah. This is the thing that people are missing out if they don't go to this conference. The chances to go and uh, spend time with people that you might have uh, admired uh, for uh, any number of years. Yeah. Uh, you have read about them. You have seen their, 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 their interviews online. Now you have the chance to see, sit back, hang out with them, and see that they're just uh, very approachable. Uh, people like, well, Nick Redfern, you know, our, our common friend, you know, just loves to stay there. And he knows that being in those kind of uh, events is not about, you know, give out your presentation and then spend the rest of the time, you know, uh, alone in your hotel room. No, it's about being there with the people, exchanging experiences, exchanging, exchanging ideas, you yeah. know, drinking a few beers, hanging, having a good time. That is the thing that uh, I feel uh, the, the Paradigm guys need to sell out to people who might be thinking about going there next year. Yeah. Yeah, even uh, get, get a camera out there where, where people are doing this stuff and ask permissions. Like, can we videotape you talking to Richard Dolan or whoever? Exactly. And can we videotape these people playing the guitar? And can we, you know get two minutes of two of the researchers talking who you never see together. They don't get interviewed together, but they're just talking about something mm -hmm. just to show that that you're, you're right. I mean, I, I, nobody ever really mentions that. They just think it's kind of a show. It's not, it's an interaction. You would hope it would be. Yeah. It's an atmosphere. It's an atmosphere that is created for a, for a small number of days in which people, uh, have the confidence to share whatever ideas and even experiences they might have had. Yeah, uh, of that's their a big own. one. That's a you real know, big one. They, People would come up to me and they wouldn't ask me about anything that I'd talked about. They mm -hmm. would just tell me something that had happened to them. And they wouldn't, some, most, not most, but a lot of time, they wouldn't even ask me what the, I thought it meant or what I thought it was. They would just, they'd finish and they'd say thank you and they'd leave. They just wanted to tell exactly. somebody I wasn't going to laugh at them. They, they have that yearning to, uh, to share it with someone else. Let me tell you something that happened to me yeah. um, on, the, on the way to, to, to Minneapolis this year. So I was in the Houston airport, you know, the first time you, uh, you, you enter the United States, you have to go to the customs office or the yeah. customs uh, agent. So the, 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 the lady shows you where you have to go. And the person there, the agent, asks you, oh, well, so what, is the, what is the reason of your, your visit? And I'm always very honest and say, I'm going to the Paradigm Symposium. And he said, oh, what, what is that about? I say, well, it's about, you know, ancient mysteries, UFOs, things that bump in the night and all things. And the guy looks at me and says, oh, so you are into all that kind of stuff? <laughs> and I say, yeah, you know, kind of expecting, you know, the guy is going to mock me or being dismissive, you know, be snarky or something. Yeah. And next thing you know, the guy starts say saying to me, oh, I saw a UFO once next to the Mexican border. <laughs> and for the f f five, next five minutes, he starts telling me about 
this UFO uh, sighting when she saw some kind of metallic object, you know, in, up in the sky, and then it was met by two other objects, and they were like rotating and revolving around each other, and then they whoo, they went, you know, and disappeared uh, uh, in the blink of an eye, you know. <laughs> I was nervously glancing at the people, you know, in, next in the line, you know, like, what the, what the fuck, you know. <laughs> and I was like saying, okay, you know, that's very nice, sir, but can you please stop my passport so I can move <laughs> on because I have things to do. So that kind of shows you that this uh, concept of the quote-unquote paranormal is so, so inadequate because A, it kind of presumes that this is, there, these are things that go or are outside the provenance of the natural laws. Yeah. And B, that these are things that are so rare that just a handful of people ever get to experience. And this, that is so, so far away from the truth because anyone, anyone can have something that is really uh, beyond what uh, what our society tells you that is the, the normal standard, you know? And they're so yearning to share it with someone who, who they feel they, not, they will not judge them, you know, they will not mock them, or they will say, yeah, well, you know, I think what you saw is not really real, you know? I think that you were under the illusion, some, some sort of hallucination. Anyone can be some kind of uh, witness to something that we just might call extraordinary. Yeah. And, you know, our society has conditioned ourselves to, to keep it on for, under ourselves, you know, to not share them. Because yeah. if we do, we will be labeled as crazy, you know, or, you know, fantasy prone or whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to explain it to somebody that it hasn't happened to. Mm -hmm. uh, and the thing is, if you say you're into it, they assume that you've had that kind of experience, too, I guess. I guess. Uh, I don't think I have, at least not in any way I could say specifically. But the, but the thing is, that, like I said, people just want to get it off their chest or talk to somebody that isn't going to laugh at them. And just, just like repeating it to somebody that doesn't make fun of them for it makes it easier for them to accept that it happened, I think. I guess, yeah. Even if it might be something normal. Because if somebody tells me something like, I saw this thing and it was in the eastern sky... And it's basically where the star Sirius is. And I said, was it all sparkly and kind of multicolored? Yeah. Uh, that might be the, the star, this Sirius, the star. Go look it up on a, a map. I don't know if it was, but it might be. Have, have a look. You know, mm -hmm. But if they tell me it was doing what, you know, spinning around and, you know, doing things that airplanes and helicopters, all that don't do, I don't know the explanation for that. And I just have to accept them at their word. And plus the thing is, like, they're not, they're, they're just telling me a story. And then exactly. they walk away. It's not like they want attention or anything like that. Just somebody had yeah. something very strange happen to them. Yeah. Um, which is why, you know, I, I guess I'm still interested. It's just the, the basic core experience of strangeness that, that people have in the, in the face of, in the face of why do you have to wonder if somebody's going to laugh at you if you say this? You mm -hmm. know, how long is it going to take before people don't laugh at people when they say this? I don't know. Maybe forever. Maybe not in our lifetimes. I have no idea. But... Um, <sighs> That's maybe, a good question. Maybe I, I hope there's some sort of model to use for it before we're too old to, you know, be involved anymore or not here anymore, you and I and everybody we know that's into it. Mm -hmm. I hope. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that might be. But I think, you know, uh, our friend Micah and a few other people and people we admire, I think they have a sort of a handle on the giant elephant or whatever it is. 
and it's you know and it's not what we think it is yet but it's it's probably a lot of things that we think but we just don't know how they're connected yet yeah but the fa the fact that we are being uh, i don't know aware or cognizant and and respectful of the experience i think that that's something of a an important the first step that our society should take you know they're saying yeah. okay this is happening we just don't know what it is you know but we ha don't have the right to dismiss it if we just could go and and, and see this in our lifetimes <laughs> you know i think that will be enough for me yeah well i, I don't know it might be enough for me too i I would like to have some kind of weird experience like that. And, you know, I've had vague ones. I saw a very bright star out over the desert once that stayed there and then disappeared later. Out of, you know. I remember that experience that you told about on Radio Misterioso of uh, when the, uh, you were washing a glass uh, and the, the thing broke, like exploded in your hand. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was just talking to my friend Robert, one of the co-founders of the magazine. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't know. I think that's pretty pretty interesting in itself. You know, I don't I know. Maybe maybe not be as uh, fantastic. I've seen like a mother uh, like big triangular <laughs> mothership right in front of your ass. But that in itself, you know, that's that's something that. Maybe people, uh, most of people will dismiss and say, oh, well, it's probably nothing. But that in itself is pretty interesting. Well, it could, have been, it could have been some sort of strange tempered glass that was under some sort of pressure. And as soon as there was a flaw in it, it just broke apart. That's, mm -hmm. That could be. Mm -hmm. But I was standing there and I was, I, I, wasn't, I was very unhappy at that time in my life for various reasons. And... Um, when I talked to Dean Radin about it, he said, well, maybe, maybe there's something going on there that caused that to happen and having to do with your state of mind. I don't know. But mm -hmm. it, was, it was strange to just be standing there and have it make a pop, an audible pop, and, a, and a, I could feel the concussion of the pop in my hand. Wow. And all the glass went flying, and then there were pieces of glass embedded in my hand. didn't cut it. I basically just shook my hand in the sink and brushed it off, and the glass came off. But wow. there were pieces of glass all over the... All over the uh, uh, kitchen and all the way into this utility room, like 15 feet away or more. Mm. I remember he started sweeping it up, and we were so surprised that the glass could fly that far away. Wow. And I was not washing a cold wa uh, cup with hot water. I was washing a cold cup with cold water. So, And I, I didn't hit it on anything. I just I turned it over, shook the water out, and then turned it right side back, back right side up, and that's when it went pop, and the glass went mm. everywhere. So very strange. But... I don't know what that was. That could be a normal explanation, but um, there might be an abnormal or paranormal explanation. Just means we don't have an explanation for it yet. Yeah, well, that's just it. You're right. You know uh, that maybe for ninety-nine percent of, uh, of of human beings, there are things that maybe not are not that impressive. You know that in your face, but there are still pretty pretty fantastic. You know. Your, your glass shattering in your hand. Let me tell you something that happened to me in Paradigm, you know. Please. Uh, go, I'm go, uh, I, I go, I go to, to the lobby, uh, I, I register, uh, and they give me the, the, uh, the room 1111. <laughs> and let me tell you something. This is the second time that they've given me the room 1111 when I've come to Paradigm. 
<laughs> so to me, that's I mean, like you say, well, maybe that's some coincidence or something, but that's something. That to me, that's something. Yeah. Adam Gorightly says, ask RPG if they have wacky podcasts like this in Mexico. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm some I'm such a what what we we might call malinchista. You know, people who kind of dismiss or so uh, are so out of touch of what's happening in, in, in Mexico. You know, people say, Oh, you know, what's happening in the Mexican UFO scene? And I will say, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I'm so caught up with the the the, the American or I don't know online UFO scene. I really have not much time to pay attention to 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 the local to the local thing side of things. Is it have you not even paid attention? Or is it just it's so far, hard to find that you just maybe it's so hard to find. You know, because if there was so evident, I'm sure that I will be able to find it. Yeah. You know, earlier you mentioned something about Eric Von Donick and not showing up at the conference. Did, did he not show up? He didn't. Well, he only uh, posted a press release on his webpage explaining his side of the story of why he wasn't going to show up. Didn't he say that he was supposed to get paid and he didn't or something like that? Or was that somebody else? Mm, part of the press release was something of uh, what Apparently, according to them, happened on the last Paradigm Symposiums that, according to them, uh, neither um, Giorgio Sukalos and Philip, the late Philip Coppens were paid in full uh -huh. for, their, for, for their, uh, their presentations in 2012. But uh, what I know is that this is really not the case at all. Well, I wouldn't know, I, I, but I, I appreciate you answering it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really care if you want to explain it or not. No, I, and I'm really, I, I am really not in a position to explain it because, you know, right. I, I know this, uh, the people who have organized, uh, organized this uh, presentation, I consider them friends, but they don't have to share every single, you know, aspect of yeah. the nitpicking, you know, on inside baseball side of the the presentations, you know. Yeah. For, for I can only say honestly and truthfully that for what I've seen of the Paradigm, present, the Paradigm Symposium, no one is getting rich out of these uh, events, you know. No, they're nobody really, ever gets rich out of any of them, I yeah, think. They're really putting it together out of the what, what you guys call the skin of their teeth. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. No, I know that's what happens because every person that I've been involved with that does these things that I trust and know real well, or I mm -hmm. think I do, and I know how the things are run and I know, you know how much the things cost and all that, I've talked to them and, you know, every single one of them um, have told me basically the same story, that uh, it's really hard to get people out there. You have to pay for them to come out there. You don't know how many people are going to sign up beforehand. Everybody signs up at the last second or just shows up. Exactly. And you don't even know what, how many that's going to be. So you have to basically dig into a huge fund of money you have to have beforehand or like use credit cards or something to get everything set up because you can't, you know, the pre-sales aren't going to work. And, you know, then they have to say, you know, if... If you're doing something like what were those things called the, the, they used to have them in San Francisco. Um, 
Well, there was a UFO conference there, and it was run by the same people that do the uh, the, the conspiracy cons up there. That the the same okay. producers did them, and they did this weird thing where uh, a few conferences did this, where people would pay to see like everybody come out and talk for like half an hour. Then they'd have to pay for a workshop, which was more money. Mm-hmm. And it was I thought it was a horrible setup. It was very bad for the people that attended the conference because it was a lot of money mm-hmm. just to see a few people talk for a little bit. And then you would have to pay a ton more money just to see them, you know, see the larger presentation. Then you would have to pick one over the other. And, but, I under, you know, I didn't like it, but I kind of understand why they were doing it, because otherwise they couldn't do it without losing their shirts. Exactly, because maybe this guy, uh, Travis Walton is organizing, uh, I think in November, is organizing a conference in uh, the same location. Yeah, Snowflake. In which he, yeah, exactly, in which he was uh, found after his, uh, well, quote-unquote quote abduction. Yeah, picked up. Right, exactly. So he, 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 says, he knows that... Uh, uh, people moving, the, tra- uh, transporting themselves to that location, that's that costs money, and also he knows that you know maybe renting some space for 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 the event. You know, I think that he said that uh, he, it will cost like a thousand dollars a day just to rent the place where the conferences will be held. That's so, cheap. Exactly. <laughs> so people are really not aware that. The, the logistics of this is really, really uh, difficult, you know. Yeah, and you have so, to fly. Go rightly, who's online with us here? He helped set up the uh, uh, one of the uh, retro UFO conferences out there at the Integratron a few years ago. And yeah, that was, I remember that. Yeah, and it was it, it came off fine and everything was great, but it was a nightmare setting it up. Exactly. You know, and that was a simple one. Oh, yeah, that, there's, you know, there's a reason people. why they didn't choose to to keep it up, right? So they did like did it like I think a couple got, of times. Yeah, they got tired of losing money. I know that I know the organizer, and her and her husband just got tired of losing money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they lost, and they're real good friends of mine. So I don't think they'd lie, lie. They lost a lot of money putting those things on, mm-hmm. and they just did them. Yeah, they lost a lot of money the first time, and then the second time they lost more. And the third time they lost more, and they said, "Okay, forget it." Finally. Yeah. But they had, she said, I said, well, then why'd you do it? She goes, well, I really wanted to do it. And I really like you guys. And I had so much fun. And, you know, it's like she did it for the love of it. Exactly. And then skeptics go online and say that these kind of events are, are only nothing but cash scams in order to, to, to uh, rip people off. You know, those fool enough to go and see these kind of uh, presentations, and all the people who speak in those presentations, you know, you know, they have, they only need to to go to uh, to, to present themselves in a few of these, and they are like set for uh, set for the the rest of the year. I don't know about that. There might be two or three. No, I don't even think so. I think like Linda Howe, Whitley Strieber, um, Friedman, Dolan, people like that. I don't think they're set up for the rest of the year. I don't think they're set up for a month with how what their fees are. Mm-hmm. Maybe Nori, because I think he charges something like five thousand dollars to show up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and the, it might the, be more by now. This was years ago, so it's probably more by now. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems is that uh, these kind of events try to maybe bring up uh, too many foreign speakers. 
and maybe you have to be, be a little more sensible, you know, and say maybe you need to keep it like 80% local. And by local, I mean, say, maybe p people within the periphery, <laughs> you know, yeah. of your presentation. And 20% you might uh, want to bring overseas, you know. Yeah, because yeah. really, you know, uh, bringing someone like uh, whatever, you know, the, the, whatever name you want to bring, you have to pay for their air, uh, uh, air travel expenses, for, for their hotel expenses, yeah. and also for the, the, the fact that they have uh, their presentation and that they, you ask them to hang around in the, uh, with, uh, with the speakers for the remainder of the event, not just for that uh, two hour or an hour and a half yeah. presentation they might give. Yeah, I'm a horrible person. At the one of the conferences I was at, um, I there were three or four of the other speakers, and I said, "You guys bored with this?" And they said, "Yeah." And I said, "You want to get in a car and go driving out in the desert?" And we did. <laughs> <laughs> we we went out to I think it was Jonathan Downs, um, Matt. Um, oh, what's his name? The computer hacker from England. Uh, yeah, and if Nick is listening, he knows what I'm talking about. Nick and mm -hmm. Ken, Ken Thomas and I, we drove out of Las Vegas and we went to the, uh, we went to the, uh, there is a stand right next to the highway about 30 minutes outside of Las Vegas owned by an Indian uh, tribe and all they sell is tobacco, booze, and fireworks. <laughs> oh, well, perfect. <laughs> so we went out there, bought a bunch of scotch and fireworks. We didn't light the fireworks, and then we just went driving around in the desert for a little while um, and then came back to the conference. So for about five hours of the conference or four hours, we were out not even in the building. Mm. But the thing well, was, nothing was going on at that point. There was not a, you know, there wasn't a dinner or anything. I think one other person was speaking, and that was about it. But that's the other part of the conference is the speakers get some... FaceTime and alone time, like this thing with you, you were talking about with uh, Valet and Robbie Graham, on a kind of a smaller scale, um, where you, you know, every time when I used to speak at these things, I would get to, you know, I always wanted to ask Richard Dolan this, or I always wanted to ask, you know, mm -hmm. Linda Howe this when mm -hmm. I wanted to ask her things, and I get to do that, mm -hmm. and just by virtue of being there. And no, they never really paid me very much, and. They did fly me out there, which was nice, and put me up. But the main thing was, yeah, uh, meeting people and 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 talking talking to talking to other researchers, and that 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 was the fun part. So exactly, you know, and I pulled us reasons, off the track. What were we talking about? Well, one of the reasons that I I, I, I I've gone to all three Paradigm symposiums is not just for the speakers, but for the people that I've met since the year one. You know, and yeah, uh, that's the only time you get to see them. Yeah. To me, it's it's really something of a family reunion by now, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, every, only time I get to see Nick Redfern, who's probably one of my best, probably my best friend in ufology right now, has mm -hmm. been for quite a while, is when he's either at a conference somewhere. We're both at a conference, or they fly him out to Hollywood so he can be in it. You know, they can shoot him for a documentary because it's cheaper exactly. to fly the person here than to fly the crew to where he is. Mm -hmm. So they fly him up here, you know, fly him out here, stick him in a studio for a couple hours. And then he doesn't have to leave for a day or so, so we go hang out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if from that perspective, yeah, if you're going to be into the UFO thing, then that's, that's about the only perk is you get to see your friends once in a while. Sometimes, exactly. if you're lucky, on somebody else's dime. Yeah, exactly. I was telling someone on, on, uh, on email that 
my own personal 14 uh, midlife crisis is not the <laughs> fact that I want to to buy a Porsche or that that I'm yearning to have like a condo on Bali, uh, or Malibu or something. My midlife crisis is that I want to spend more time with the, the with the people that I that, that I hang around. You know, only once a year by now. You know, yeah. if I could manage to. To hang out with Mike and uh, uh, Nick and all the pals more than once a year, you know, that will be like my, uh, that the equivalent of Gauguin going to Haiti or Tahiti, you know, and yeah, painting yeah. <laughs> nude, nude, uh, nude women. Tahitian girls, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is one of the, that is one of the nicest, coolest things I've ever heard anybody say about the UFO thing. The, the, that my goal, my my be all end all, is just to hang out with people that I really like to talk to. I mean, that's one of the one of the coolest things I've ever heard on this show. <laughs> yeah, no, because I, I, I mean, that it kind of encapsulates some of the reasons why I do it too, and and it's it's uh, it's nice. And the thing is, you're not always talking about UFO stuff; you're talking about other stuff too, and so, you know, catching up. How are you doing? You know, is your health okay? Like, how's your wife? All this other stuff. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, you know me, man. Uh, UFOs were like my, if you want to call it, my my, gate, my gateway drug into all this world. <laughs> yeah, me too, I think. <laughs> but by now, it's really taking some, something of a secondary role because I'm yeah. becoming much more interested in other topics, you know. UFOs will always be my first and foremost love, but now I'm so much, so more interested in consciousness and pre and psi phenomena, the things that Dean Radin and Rick Strassman are, are, are working on, and the the things that uh, like the first paradigms in consciousness was the, the the main thing was something of the ancient aliens theme, right? You know, yeah. George Sukalos and Eric von Daniken, the idea of oh yeah. The, the the extraterrestrial astronauts came here, you know, they landed on uh, some kind of rockets very similar to the ones we're trying to build right now. And they came and they taught the, the, the primitives, you know, something of a, about our agriculture and shit, and they left. Yeah. You know, and now... The, yeah, this... That's wonderful if you look at time as a linear flow. Exactly. And now <laughs> with, <laughs> with this paradigm symposium with Graham Hancock being there and saying, you know what, maybe we really don't need that kind of like, in my opinion, the, the B movie side of Star Wars, like a type, type of contact, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Maybe we can have contact with non-human extra dimensional entities by just... Uh, dreaming, or maybe you know, taking a heroic <laughs> uh, doses of mushrooms, yeah. you know, or like performing some said. ritual, yeah, and opening exactly. some sort of communication channel, if that's what you want to call it. Really crude way of describing that, but yeah, being able to experience something without having a space or time barrier doing that, and being able to process, letting your subconscious process process it into your conscious is a tough one. And in fact, it's probably almost impossible for us right now, at least, you know, people I know in a scientific Western whatever. Not to put exactly. it down, not to put that part of it down, but, um, I, you know, it, it's funny you bring that up. I, it, that, that's, a, that's something I've thought of in the past, and you have and a lot of people that maybe it's, and why I made that, you know, if you think of time in a linear fashion, 
you're going to have that problem with ancient astronauts and all that. And, you know, the, exactly. you know, they came here in a structured craft and they showed us how to build things. Mm-hmm. Nah, 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 I don't think that's that. That's not a tenable hypothesis. And it's so cool that Hancock would mention that. And probably more than one person mentioned that at the conference. What else happened there? We were going to talk about the conference. Oh, what else happened? So much, so many things. You know, one of my favorite, uh, two of my favorite uh, presentations was one by Barry, Barry Fitzgerald. I, I don't know if you've heard of him. I've heard of him, but I don't know his shtick. Well, he's something of a quote-unquote ghost hunter. And oh, okay. since I don't know anything about that, I didn't have any kind of bias about him. Yeah. And I'm really happy that I went to his presentation because it was one of the most, uh, you know, the, the most original content that I that I ingested, sort of, uh, sort of, yeah. uh, during the presentation, uh, during mm-hmm. the the symposium. You know, he talked about uh, all these um, very ancient megalithic and very. Uh, like cave-like structures in Ireland, you know, places where Neolithic men went to, to try to to connect with uh, what would you we might call the other side, you know, places where he he said that people went to be uh, quote unquote spiritually challenged, you know. Yeah, it's not a place you you know you will go to have a nice experience uh, by no means at all. Yeah, so it's places that places that are really where you might want to say that the veil between the two worlds are, is very, very thin. And this is kind of a knowledge that has been lost, you know, and now we, we don't understand about it. And uh, the things that he was saying about that, you know, I wasn't really aware of it, and it was really, really interesting. After it, I spent a, a, few, a few moments talking talking to him about uh, something like high Brazil and all the yeah, things yeah. that have uh, transpired uh, from these guys, from the Rendlesham case, UFO case. Yeah, those really wacky parts of it that don't, nobody it, wants to talk about. Exactly. He says that he has tried uh-huh. to Among look, many. looked into it to so, so the place where the coordinates that this guy, uh, uh, I don't know, Penniston, Received through the sort of quote unquote binary code, and starting to sound to kind be... of uh, contactee-ish, isn't it? Yeah, and <laughs> there seems to be something of a uh, something of a structure uh, on the uh, seabed. You know, people, the, the the people he's talked to says that yeah, the, off of Britain, like north uh, west of it, I think. Exactly, sure. the the people who he's talked to. He says, well, it's nothing but a you know, coral reef, but maybe there's something more to it. Uh, it better be a really pretty old coral reef. I don't think coral reefs survive in that cold water. Well, maybe yeah, they well, do. Uh, maybe uh, uh, he needs to find someone who has some kind of a submarine drone or something. You yeah. know? Maybe go, go there and explore. Yeah. And w- what we're talking about, if people don't know, is something called High Brazil, H-Y Brazil, and I think it's actually spelled, I think, in the, well, it's either Brazil or B-R-A-S-I-L, as it would be spelled in South America. But anyway, uh-huh. um, it's, uh, if you want to look into it, go ahead and look into it. I always thought it was kind of silly and ridiculous, but um, interesting, you know, just like I feel about the, a lot of contact, these stuff. Silly and ridiculous, but highly interesting. 
And, you know, as, as Nick, uh, um, Nick Pope says, interesting if true. But mm-hmm. uh, as with a lot of th- these things, it's more like interesting if, I don't know, if pursuable, I guess you would say. Ah, good, good, good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> like the, you know, the uh, secret base under, you know, Dulce. I think uh, it's interesting if pursuable. I don't know if it's true, but it might be pursuable. What, what, so who else was speaking there that uh, kind of affected you or you, that you remember as like really being something new that you really wanted to hear? Well, uh, this guy, Andrew Collins, was giving a present, his presentation about uh, Gobe, this place, Gobekli Tepe. About what? Go, uh, this uh, place in uh, archaeological sites in Turkey, you know, Gobekli Tepe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, and he gave a G-O-B-E-K-L-I, very... G-O-B-E-K-L-I, I think. Mm-hmm. And he gave a very interesting... Uh, he has a very interesting idea, you know, about uh, all these uh, legends about the, uh, the, uh, the Anunnaki, you know, the Nephilim, and... Uh, and People in this, the, the alternative history, when they hear that, they say, oh, well, the, the extraterrestrials, you know, or, or ancient gods, you know, the gods who came from heaven. He has a more, you know, down-to-earth explanations about all of that and how uh, Gobekli Tepe seems to be the place where, like, mm, civilization as we know it started as a result of what he calls, when, well, what some people call uh, catastrophobia. You know, this, this like, uh, collective... Um, uh, catastrophism. No, well, catastrophism and the idea that people in those ancient times were really fearing the fact that uh, another major cataclysm brought about by maybe some... Comment- commentary impact will happen again. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, and it makes so much sense because there's a reason why pe- uh, cultures all over the world will see uh, comments as, om- as omens of bad, uh, bad news, right? Yeah. In my own country, Mexico, you know, one of the reasons why uh, the Spaniard conquistadors were so able to to defeat the Aztec Empire was because um, uh, it, it is said that em- Emperor Moctezuma uh, once saw you know a comet you know flying uh, on, on the sky and he took it as a you know as a as a bad omen. Yeah. So there's some kind of like uh, collective like trauma that is. <laughs> going through since per, uh, perennial times and we really need to understand it you know people like Ryan, Graham Hancock and this guy Andrew Collins and also another guy who didn't have a chance to to give a presentation this year uh, I don't know if you've heard of him uh, Randall Carlson nope haven't heard of him Ah, you need to really get in touch with this guy, man, because he's uh, something of a... His main gist is uh, what he calls catastrophism, and he's also into sacred geometry. Anyway, he's he's found all these uh, geological features in North America that he sees as evidence of a major, major 
cometary impact that happened maybe 12,000, 1,300 years ago, 13,000 years ago. So that kind of thing that which might have destroyed the very advanced civilization that Ray Hancock and all these guys are, are saying that might have been responsible for the creation of the, the greatest things in, in Egypt and maybe Gobekli Tepe in, in Turkey. Yeah. Well, that, that, that idea has been kicking around for a while, and it, it really held, it still does, holds my imagination that we're not the first, I mean, this, this age is not the first in which humanoid-type people that live on this planet have done great things. Exactly. It's just that it, it got horribly erased, and mm-hmm. most of the, you know, only the biggest, giantest, you know, most uh, monolithic parts of it remain. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe there's stuff before that, you know, like some of the things they find underwater, like off Japan, that that big complex. Yeah, just, the Yunaguni uh, site in Oki, near Okinawa. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the fact that uh, great civilizations have, like, risen and then been wiped out somehow, probably by some, like, as you said, a ca- catastrophe. And they were advanced, but not in the way that we think, that we think of as advanced. They were yes, advanced exactly. in, they were advanced in a in a perpendicular way to us <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? yeah, because maybe they were uh, tapping into some kind of uh, uh mental capacities that lie, lay, lay dormant nowadays, you know because we are not using it you yeah. know the, the, that is one of the things that people like Graham Hancock and also uh, Jonathan e. West uh, rep- uh, repeated during the Paradigm Symposium that maybe these people were maybe more uh, maybe by the use of, of uh, psychedelics of other types of uh, substances or um, uh, uh, therapies or whatever, you know, practices that will elicit altered states of uh, consciousness maybe by that, by that way they were able to 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 reach some type of a awareness that uh, allowed them to create these types of uh, fantastic monuments you know yeah. cre- uh, structures with uh, blocks that weigh you know uh, tens of tons of weight you know and and maybe uh, when you, they they see structures like the Great Pyramid of Gizeh, or maybe you know uh, uh, Graham Hancock talks about this uh, uh, this site in ba- uh, Baalbek, you know where they were they were yeah. using monoliths that are hundreds of towns. Yeah, uh, uh, all these places. Exactly, you know, and say, I mean, why were they were they were trying to to do through all that work, you know, maybe why? didn't uh, they use uh, uh, blocks that were, you know, much more manageable, you know, and uh, you reach the conclusion that they needed, they must have had a, re- a very really good, good reason, reason for it. <laughs> exactly. One of the reasons is maybe they were really trying to ensure that those structures were able to sustain a really big uh, uh, cataclysm, you know, like the ones that they, they, they knew that that happened thousands of years ago or maybe also another of the things that were dis- uh, have been discussed in the Paradigm Symposium is that these types of massive blocks 
create some type of uh, very uh, interesting uh, what they call archaeoacoustics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that what you are inside these really incredible uh, ancient complexes, you know, you really feel, you know, uh, some type of uh, influence of change in your awareness, you know, something that you and I really are incapable of understanding because we're not there. But yeah. people who are there and uh, when they, uh, you know, uh, in the new age scene, you know, things about, you know, vibrational resonance has become something of a, uh, a hijacked term, you know, something of a mocked. Yeah. But uh, th- there seems to be something to that, you know, to the idea of... Uh, these ancient uh, cultures using uh, this uh, massive uh, rock uh, blocks that have some type of a, uh, acoustic resonance, and that kind of a resonance has some kind of influence in the, uh, the minds of humans when they're inside there. Yeah, uh... Many years ago, and I've talked about this on the show, I was speaking to Mario Pozzaglina, who was the uh, uh, alien writing guy. He was talking to me, I think it was privately, I didn't publish this or anything, it was just one of our phone conversations. He was talking about Paul Devereaux, Mm. and Paul Devereaux's research at the time, and this was in the 90s, and I don't know if he was even the first one to do it. He was going to these um, so-called burial beehive um, uh, spaces, uh, underground spaces in Ireland or, or, or Scotland and Ireland or something like that, British Isles. And yeah. they're kind of, well, they're, the inside of them are kind of beehive shaped. They're kind of conical and round, but, but rounded like, like a beehive and, you know, um, fat in the middle and skinny at the top and skinny at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And what they found out by taking a um, oscilloscope in there, that not mm-hmm. an oscilloscope, but an oscillator that produced sounds uh, mm-hmm. through a, with a speaker, that mm-hmm. certain tones that were well within the range of human voice would create a standing wave inside these uh, chambers. Yeah. Meaning there would be areas of no sound, and then, you know, a couple feet away, you could hear the sound, and it was, you know, it was, the wave, the standing wave would, would be set up with inside the chamber. And when you got to a certain, like, you know, like a middle D or something like that. Yeah. And he was yeah. saying what you could do, actually, is light a fire in there, and the smoke would just, the, the smoke would form a screen, and you could do divination with it. That was the idea. Yeah, I mean, but Barry Fitzgerald told that the, the kind of frequency that affects the, the, the human brain into trying to uh, not as much shut down, but trying to silence the, the left hem- hemisphere of the brain and try to, 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 to uh, increase or to, um, dom- make the right side of the hemisphere dominant is within the 110 hertz. Yeah. So this uh, this side seemed to 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 propitiate or to to amplify to, to amplify exactly the the 110 hertz frequency, and that type of sound is only reached through uh, the male voice. That was his point, you know. That yeah. you know maybe because in his idea. 
the right side hemisphere is like the feminine side, you know, the the creative uh, aspect of the, uh, of consciousness, you know. Mm-hmm. But it is only through the male voice that uh, this right uh, side is reached. So that it, it, it's something of an interesting paradox there. Yeah. Wow, I wish I could have heard some of these presentations. And these, and one of you said, the, one of them you said was basically from a ghost hunter person. Yeah, a ghost hunter who has gone to these uh, ancient sites in his uh, native land of Ireland, and he says that he has had very, very interesting and, and terrifying experiences there. Yeah. Greg, Greg Little and Brent Rains, specifically Greg Little, who has written books about this, published in the 1980s. Uh, mm. One of them is People of the Web, and one of them is, uh, I can't remember the other one, but uh, I should have Greg Little on my show sometime. He's gone way beyond this. He's doing completely different things right now, but I'm sure he'd be willing to talk about a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 you know, the fact that there are, you know, altered states of mind that we have forgotten about and probably allow us access to other kinds of knowledge or other kinds of, um, what's the word, uh, uh, Basically, switching channels. I guess cosmic exactly. channels or yeah. something you can call yeah. it. Yeah, I'm. I'm very interested in that. You know, I mean, right now, let's be honest. Psychedelics are still very much uh, uh, forbidden. You know, Ill- illegal. If we are very ho- hopeful, you know, maybe in 20 years from now, you know, things like LSD and psilocybin will become mainstream. You know, if we are very, very helpful, but maybe even before that, we could find uh, alternative, alternative, alternative channels yeah. to try to tap into those uh, dormant side of the human psyche. I was thinking that maybe that could be reached through, through something like uh, virtual reality technology. Yeah, you could do that too. A a hopeful thing that I don't know if it's still going on. I when I had uh, James Carrion on when he was head of MUFON for a little while, I started to talk to him about DMT mm-hmm. and Strassman, as you'd mentioned before. Yeah, he said we have a MUFON group in the Pacific Northwest that is uh, looking into that as some way of communicating or opening up to some kind of communication with something that, with a non-human intelligence. Possibly those weren't his exact words. Yeah, yeah. but that's what he was pointing at. Mm-hmm. And that, I wonder if that group's still doing that. That's, That's the kind question. of stuff that makes me think that you know the the you know small yeah. groups doing this kind of research that most people consider kind of weird. They don't even have to present it as we took a bunch of drugs and saw aliens. No, yeah, exactly. They don't even have to present it as that. They can present if they can some sort of non-drug verifiable proof somehow that something has gone on you know it's it's an experiment it it could be a hor- horrible failure mm-hmm. but the thing is if somebody does it and makes some kind of progress they can pass that on to other people who can may- maybe modify it and do something different with it yeah i, I i'm wondering in ways in, qu- in which you could uh, uh boost the uh, uh, endocrinous <laughs> secretion of uh. dmt within uh, your own brain because we already know that DMT is already is secreted in, <laughs> inside the human brain, yeah. right? Yeah. 
So, uh, I mean, uh, for it's just, example... Yeah, putting DMT in there basically just floods it with some, way too much of something that's already there. Yeah, exactly. For example, in my, uh, for myself, uh, I, I have never taken those kinds of uh, substances in my life, but I've had already... Well, maybe you uh, should. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, one of, you know, one of the reasons that, that I'm still hesitating about it, because... Already of my own, when I sometimes when I go to sleep, you know, I'm I'm still trying to to to, to sleep, and at night I, I cannot really see, you know, these kinds of fractal mandalas of light and all that shit that seems <laughs> to be kind of the, the things that people who take a, a DMT uh, describe. Yeah, well, some people just have it naturally. That's true. And you can get that, some of these states of mind just uh, by meditation, and some people just stumble into them. So that's my point. So, so maybe so if someone like that takes uh, an extra dose of DMT, would that be helpful? Or will that, you know, take them too far on the deep end? And they might not be able to get back. The interesting thing to do was something I heard that possibly Jacques Vallée was doing was to nudge the phenomenon so that it changes it. Mm. Somehow changes the phenomenon in the way it, that it appears to us. Oh, we're going to get sirens here pretty soon, so we'll know uh, that it's a real that's show. That's good. <laughs> um, change the phenomenon in a way that's a lot of people notice. Mm. And while, whether people accept that the UFO phenomenon is real or not or any of these other things we talk about are real or not, nudge it in some way that you know that you were responsible for it or somebody that had directed a intention was responsible for it, that's kind of a handle into maybe understanding it. Wow, this one's loud. <laughs> 11.22 here. Yeah. And I look at my clock, and it's nine two three, which is wonderful. Ah, nice. <laughs> anyway, so, I think that that uh, just something so ridiculous, stupid, maybe, and and reckless, even like that. Somebody doing something like that and and making some kind of crazy progress, where you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years down the line, somebody says, you know, uses that as a building block. In a in a way of understanding what the what a lot of these phenomena are, is, is, am I making sense? No, I, you're making perfect sense. For example, on that uh, I mean, you kicked my brain panel, into thinking about it. The, and on the UFO panel that I was part of yeah, at the Paradigm Symposium, you know, the moderator Jim Harold uh, asks the, the the members, you know, the the, the group, uh, what they thought would be where we where we will be at. 10 years from now, you know, in maybe 2024, 20, you know, some, some people gave their, 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 their opinion. And I was, after, after it, I was kind of yearning to say that maybe 10 years from now, psychedelics will become mainstream, you know, and, and instead of talking about aliens, you know, we'll, we will all take a, D, a hit of DMT and we will be talking with the goddamn aliens, you know, and the aliens will say, what took you guys so long? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking about when you said uh, when we were discussing the uh, this ancient knowledge and what those people were doing and you know why did they build things this way. I think they're sitting there waiting for us. Exactly. I don't. I don't think we know it, and they might not know it either. Well, they, maybe they would. They would like, oh, here's some people that are here. Here is some intelligence that is sort of getting it, but not quite, and we can't mm -hmm. really talk to them, and that sucks. But eventually, 
you know, they're going to get it. And, you know, uh, at some point they will break that barrier. They're going to break that, that time barrier. Yeah. And they, the, the knowledge that has been there all along will just be there. It, it will slowly trickle back into the, uh, the human consciousness now if we're still around. Haven't been mm-hmm. catastrophically destroyed or killed or destroyed ourselves. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things that maybe it's uh, a race. <laughs> exactly, that's one of the things that uh, was mentioned in the the Spirit Molecule documentary that uh, people who were uh, part of the Rick Strassman's uh, study when they were on the DMT, you know, and they get to interact with these entities, you know, the entities will say, "Oh." We're so glad you have discovered this technology, so now we will be able to interact with you more often, you know? Yeah. You know, so it was about time, you monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Even though, on, from our point of view, it's something way out of the normal that's, that's totally wacky and um, very much not our norm and something, and something that most people don't have access to. Whereas these, whatever those entities are, if they exist, which I think, intelligences exist somewhere in some mm-hmm. way i think it's just normal to them they live in it it's like fish in the ocean you know yeah it's like yeah. us talking to each other so it'd be like somebody would like a caveman would call us up and start grunting and we you know and we wouldn't know how to talk to him but he would realize that he's communicating with something that's also probably intelligent and maybe sort of like him yeah, like the dog who has finally realized that he needs to, you know, maybe uh, grab the ball that <laughs> it's been yeah. there all along, you know. Ah, finally he it's grabbed the doll, the 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 ball, and now he's gonna get, you know, the 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 cookie or something. Yeah, yeah. I I think this has come up before, but I think what you're saying here is. Stop looking at the finger and look at what it's pointing at. <laughs> yeah, the map is not the territory. We keep getting back all over and over again, but it's never enough, you know. We keep, we need to keep uh, drilling on, so it finally people may might might get it. Did anybody else at the conference say anything that made you go, "Oh, wow! I've never thought of it in that way before"? You know. One of my favorite uh, uh, presentations was by by my friend, our friend Micah. You know, he he delivered such a very interesting and original presentation about one of the most uh, known UFO cases of all time. You know, the disappearance of the disappearance of Frederick Valentich. Ah, what did he say? Well, he you know in, instead of going the usual way of the armchair skeptic and say, well, this is a, you know, a, a solved case, you know, and the guy, Valentich was just something of an idiot who maybe he was depressed and he wanted to kill himself and maybe he wanted to go with a bank, you know. Maybe, maybe, so he, maybe, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And never, <laughs> no, none of them bothered to go and make, you know, the 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 most obvious thing, which was to try to get in contact with the people who actually knew Frederick Valentich while he was still alive. Yes, this was New Zealand, right? Uh, Australia. Oh, okay. I so thought it happened Mike, in New Zealand, though. Yeah, so Micah. Oh, because so he was uh, Australian. That's right. Yeah, so he, the guys. Yeah, because the guy flew from Australia to Kings Island in Tasmania. Okay. Okay. And, uh, so uh, Micah, through a, 
a very interesting set of circumstances in which I might have played a, a small part on. Good for you. Got, yeah, got in contact with uh, uh, wh who was uh, Frederick's fiance, you know? At the who, time, yeah. At the time, you know, a, a woman named Rhonda. And, and Micah managed to get in contact with Rhonda and, 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 and talk to her and, and managed to learn a lot of, about uh, Frederick and found out that many of the things that were uh, uh, written in the official report were just not true. You know, that the, in the official report, they, the, the investigators tried to mainly uh, say you know, hint at the fact that, you know, this guy was something of a, like, say, a very, you know, uh, depressed, you know, lonely type of guy. Uh, and this wasn't, this wasn't, uh, this wasn't the, the, the case at all. You know, Rondo said, you know, that this guy, Frederick Valenti, was a, a, a fun guy. You know, he, he was a very lively guy, you know, who was very enthusiastic, you know, yeah, and also and a very interesting thing is that uh, his this this woman Rhonda, his girlfriend, was supposed to join him on the flight to King Island, to King's Island, where he eventually disappeared. You know, so yeah. if he was supposed to kill himself as the as the investi official investigation and many of the skeptics uh, are hinting at, why? Did he wanted? Did he want to bring his girlfriend? Yeah. So, the thing is that one. The thing I like the most about Mike's presentation is that uh, instead of going in at it as just another UFO case, he reminded the audience that in the end these cases are about people. You know, this is not about. Uh, the disappearance of Frederick Valentich, you know, it's about the fact that Frederick Valentich was a real person that was known as, and loved by uh, a whole circle of people, you know, and uh, that his disappearance created a, a whole lot of pain and grief yeah. by the people who knew and loved him, you know, right. and all those skeptics could go and say, you know, like Philip Glass, who, who, who went and said that maybe, maybe Valentich was some kind of smuggling, maybe drugs or something, and that's why he, he brought us an expert, uh, an, an extra pair of, uh, ah, I don't remember the name in English. Anyway, so the idea is to, to remind people that uh, Valentich was a real person, you know? Yeah. I really, I really like that about uh, uh, Micah's presentation. Right. Yeah, I, I like when people have a new presentation about an old case, either bringing up new information that shed some light on it, or mm -hmm. even bringing new information that solves it mm -hmm. in a way that it's not mysterious at all. Um, I don't really mind either way, but I, I welcome both because then you can stop thinking about the thing, and if and, and something like that, it's like, well, if somebody says, well, he was, you know, if you know about that case, you know he was kind of depressed and he probably killed himself. And he's like, well, no, he didn't. Somebody talked to his girlfriend and it's and it is documented that he was not depressed. And he, you know, everything you just said. Mm -hmm. um, and that keeps it open. And who knows what he saw? Who knows at all what he saw? Um, 
but the the fact that it keeps it keeps the question open i think is valuable um in in a way that's not just like oh well maybe there's you you know maybe there's aliens coming in from other planets that's that's i think a lot of these things go much deeper than that um, exactly and and, and micah if, if you talk to him you know that he's uh, become uh, much more skeptic about the 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 ufo phenomenon as years went on you know he, everybody he, does it stays interested in it. it either that or you turn into an idiot that nobody wants to talk to but if you, <laughs> exactly you if, know if you he, stay he, interested in it and engaged with it and intelligent about it and open to new information you get kind of skeptical about it i mean mm-hmm. you should be skeptical to begin with but you mm-hmm. get you get more questioning and you get a little less accepting of the standard story from either side exactly which is good. That's what skepticism is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, one of the things that I love the most about my relationship with Micah is that uh, we both know that we don't have to agree 100% with uh, each other's opinion, you know? Uh, one of the, the best thi- part. That's the best kind of relationship to have with somebody, yeah. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that uh, – some of the things that Micah postulates on his books, you know, I don't agree with them, you know, entirely. And he knows about it, and that's okay, you know. He doesn't care. Have... He shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. I'm assured it's the, th- it's the same thing with you and Nick and Paul Kimball and Walter Bosley, you know. You, you respect each other enough to know, you know, this – I, res- I I like you, man. I respect you. I know that you're intelligent, but even though that you have presented your case, I still don't agree with it, and that's okay. Yeah. For whatever reason, and then exactly. some. And, it, and this is where a good discussion comes in, because if you're friendly with somebody, and you don't agree with them, hopefully, if you're good enough friends with them, and you're not uh, a wuss, or you're not, you know, uh, uh, uh What's the word? You're, you're, you, you have a strong enough opinion, but it can be changed with new information. That somebody that's friends with you that gives you new information may change your opinion. Exactly. Um, I think that's the, one of the few times you actually have a chance to change somebody's opinion is if, they're, if you don't feel threatened by them because you know that after you're finished, you're, you're going to go out and have a beer later or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that, that's maybe, you see, the, there's another deeper thing you say about the, going to these conferences is that you can go there and disagree with people and maybe learn something or they'll learn something from you. I don't, I don't think I've been to any of the conferences where I haven't had my opinions change just at least a tiny little bit about something or other. Mm. Not, not a sea change where everything is like, oh, my God, everything I've been looking at is a complete lie. But just No, I think that, I think that kind of change happens afterwards, you know? The, yeah, the yeah. Seed, the seed is implanted in your, in your mind. Yeah, and then you go look it up yourself. You might go look mm-hmm. it up yourself, you know. Exactly. Yeah, little by little you see, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I've been wrong about this all the time. You know, that happened to, to me like six or five years ago when I started to read your posts on UFO mystics and would say, oh, what, what, all this, what all this nonsense about consciousness and UFOs not necessarily being extraterrestrial vehicles, man. You know, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, little by little, you know, I was dragged, maybe kicking and screaming, you know, but then I, I was forced to change my mind about it. I I think I might have got lucky because early on, 
probably within a few years after the books were released, and I'm dating myself, um, you know, I was reading these books in the 70s when I was a little kid. I was mm. reading John Keel and Jacques Vallée books in the 70s. Mm. And they were affecting me then. So when I got interested, and then I dropped it for a while, when I got interested again in the late 80s, I already had kind of an imprint or whatever you want to call it of maybe it's not, you know, aliens coming here from in structured craft from other planets. That was my main idea. Mm. But it was it was open to uh, interpretation or change or whatever you want to call it. It was it was a soft opinion. It wasn't it wasn't a real hard opinion. Yes, there's aliens coming here from other planets in structured vehicles. I I don't think that's ever been my main that my end all be all. It has mm. it was my main opinion for a long time. Probably up to the possibly the late eighties until I got mm. into it again and started reading all these things like you know, Rick Strassman's book came out then and 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 um Dean Radin's book came out in the nineties and and uh who else? Keith Thompson had a book called Angels and Aliens, which people should read. That came out in the early nineties. These things started changing my mind a little bit more. Loosening it up, not really changing it, just loosening it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the main point, or the 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 main aim of of, of people in the fourteen world, you know, to try to remain as fluid as possible. You know, that's it's not the same of you know like being like uh, changing your mind for whatever. You know, say, oh yeah, you know, I ha- I'm so. Uh, I don't have such a strong opinion that I'm just going to follow the crowd. It's not. It's, it's not about that. It's just the crowd about... scares me. That's just the way I am. <laughs> Even yeah. if I think they're right, they scare me. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I see myself as something of a contrarian. You know, whenever I see exactly some someone trying to 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 enforce some kind of opinion, you know. For whatever reason, I, I, I always choose, you know, like the opposite side of it. Yeah. I just want to do it just to see what that offers. It may mm-hmm. not be right. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing I tell people from my point of view is if I see more than two people doing the same thing at the same time, I get very suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> There's three people standing around doing jumping jacks with funny hats on their heads. I, I get very suspicious and usually run. After I find out what's going on, because it means there's a group think happening, and that's that really worries me. And what do you feel about your own, you know, uh, belief systems? Um, I would like to think that they are open to amendment. How about you? Yeah, I mean, because of you and because of other people, I have tried to follow. Robert Anton Wilson's maybe logic. Yeah. You know, the idea that when he says, I don't believe in anything, but I have many suspicions. I think that's (laughs) probably the healthiest attitude you could take if you want to immerse yourself in this field. Yeah. And it's coincidentally, if you read up on various forms of skepticism as as, uh, outlined by the ancient Greeks, specifically... um, I can't remember the name of it, uh, 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 Zeteticism. Uh, the idea of that is you purposely keep your opinions up in the air and not make a decision on something until there is just so much incontrovertible evidence that you can't hold that, uh, hold, you can't suspend your disbelief anymore. 
and that can last for the entire your entire life if you want. Yeah, probably because for take for example the contactees, you know. Yeah. May, let's entertain the idea that they indeed were in contact with non-human entities, you know, and they or some uh, were or whatever. Yeah, for whatever, and they were told of some type of information, you know, and maybe uh, at first, you know, that information was true. Uh, but then you know you, you you are well aware that in these contacted groups you know the 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 leader of the group will say oh the the our space brothers had told me that they were lined on that on some place on in this given time and that will be a signal of the end of the world you know and they, they yeah. will you know they will sell off their belongings and they will get ready you know for the day of deliverance and say they the day will arrive and nothing happens yeah you know so i i kind of wonder you know uh, maybe if uh, at what at which point you know you will be able to say okay you know i buy into this you know maybe a we go, we die, we go into the tunnel of light, we see the being of light and say, welcome, you are here, you know, say, and you will say, oh, I don't buy this, you know, you know, <laughs> you need to convince me, bro, <laughs> you know. I think in that experience, you don't have any choice. If you, and strangely enough, to get back to DMT, I've tried it once. And, well, any psychedelic, if you take uh -huh. the psychedelic, you don't have any choice. You're going. You can't you can't will yourself out of it. Like if if you smoke DMT, uh -huh. in a, in ten seconds as you're exhaling, you're leaving your body. There's no you you can't you can't stop it. Okay. There there's there's no willpower. There's no opinion. It just happens. It's like jumping off a cliff. Mm -hmm. You can't stop jumping off a cliff. You can't run back to the cliff like in a cartoon. And I think that's. Um, that might be what's going on with, you know, the near-death experience. Obviously, you can't come back from that. Well, sometimes you can. Um, and the UFO thing and a lot of things. Once you are exposed to it, it's, it, it, there's, there's no going back. You just can't. It, it, there's no way to claw your back, weigh your back, claw your way back through midair. <laughs> and at the same time, I remember that uh, one of the things that Terence McKenna kept repeating in his uh, presentations is that... Uh, whenever he went to the realm of the machine elves, you know, the self-driven, uh, you know, uh, jeweled balls, yeah. they will keep telling him, you know, one of the, uh, you know, the reason that you've been able to go come this far is because you don't believe in anything, you know, that you are such, because you are such a skeptic is that you've been able to come this far. Huh. So, I don't know, I mean... I don't remember uh, that part of it. That's fascinating. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep struggling about this idea of uh, is uh, is believing um, uh, is seeing believing of you need to believe first in order to see, you know, which think, comes yeah, first. I, I think that what you said about the, the self-transforming machine elf things of McKenna makes a lot of sense. The fact that you won't imprint yourself on a belief system for or against opens that door up for you when it does happen. Because even when it does happen, I guess you can be skeptical about when you come back. Well, in the middle of the experience, you can't do anything about it. Exactly. But when you come back to whatever this, as my Mario called it, stateside consciousness, 
Mm. What you do with it, yeah, I, I, I think that is is what you have control over. And if you, it's like I think if you know, like if Penn and Teller had a, a psychic thing happen to them, like undeniable, they 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 wouldn't remember it. It just nah. would not be part of their. It was like you know what the what they say that the the Central Americans. The Aztecs couldn't see, or the whoever lived in the United States at the time couldn't see the ships. I think they could yeah, see the ships, yeah. but the, and and they knew they were ships. But past that, they didn't know what the hell was going on with it. Mm-hmm. And if you formed an opinion about whatever the thing is going to be, or that it doesn't exist, or whatever, it it just it will be it'll just go right through you like nothing. Like people that have UFO experiences and they don't remember them for like you know twenty years till somebody brings it up. This is you had you. You had nothing to hold on to. And if you've got something you hold on to while everything's rushing by, that's all you're going to see is the thing you're holding on to. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Uh, and, and it's not like the aliens are deliberately, you know, beaming some kind of forgetful <laughs> your, uh, laser in, in your brain so they will be able to, to, to keep uh, abducting you, you know. The, the thing that David Jacobs and Bob Hopkins were... We're yeah. thinking about. It's just that you are just not able to grasp it in your. Uh, uh, you're, you're not able to put it in some kind of a, uh, of a mental box. You know, the the experience is so overwhelming that you yeah. are only a, you have no choice but to discard it, or you will face complete obliteration. Yeah, somewhere I I, I put a, I left a message on some board somewhere a long time ago, and I said. Stranger than you can imagine is is a uh, stranger than you can imagine is a uh, yes it's a uh, um, what's the word it's an old it's an old idea and people think it's you know they don't really think about it too much but it really is true there are a lot of things that are a lot stranger than you can imagine and therefore it does not register with you I think yeah and if you try to register it maybe it will destroy you you know that's coming back to the age-old religious idea of staring into the face of god you know and and they they tell you that that's something that uh, normal people can do because it will you know consume you maybe it's not about you know something physical it's not just staring into the 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 uh, the eternal now or something like that you know in your yeah, normal you state, your of, state of awareness you know is yeah. so overwhelming that your ego is not over is not able to to take it yeah or if you're talking about something a little closer to home like a ghost or UFO or whatever you want to call it a lot of these paranormal things we're talking about and we've talked about this on the show you and I have talked about it too yeah um, when that thing is happening. Your subconscious is trying furiously to find a box to stuff it into. Exactly. <laughs> no matter what it is that's in front of you, it's going, what the hell is it? What is it? Okay, it's this. It's this. It's this. And then yeah. that's what it is. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's not what somebody else standing there might have had another strange box that their brain was trying to stuff it into. And neither the twain shall meet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, this concept that you have uh, proposed, and I am totally in support of the of the co-creation between the phenomenon of the observer, you know, that the phenomenon, either it responds to the observer's expectations or maybe the observer is only able to interpret the phenomenon in, in, 
in a way that is manageable to its... <laughs> in the colors to... available in its palette. Exactly. <laughs> in, in your palette. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. One of us better write this up so that it's, uh, it's uh, sitting there and people can <laughs> refer to it. Because yeah, otherwise exactly. I'll go, hey, wait a second. Uh, Red Pill and yeah. I talked about that two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's not an original idea at all. No, exactly. Imagine what problem the, the, the people, the, the European explorers of three centuries ago have when they try to explain to their, their, their family what the giraffe was, you know? I mean... Yeah, have the, you seen those, the, the illustrations? Yeah, exactly. They are totally insane, you know, because they, they, the people who drew those illustrations, they tried to, to, to present them uh, according to the, 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 the things they already knew about, you know? Yeah. Or the person that was telling them knew about. Exactly. So you've so, got it going through two filters already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's something like... Some kind of uh, psychological chimera, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can only understand things based on the things that you already experienced on, you know? That's yeah. Yeah, li like you're based. Yeah. You, cannot, you can't go further from that. So you, you need to have that kind of like a uh, base structure. Yeah, and, you know, all we have is, and, you know, this has been brought up so many times, all we have is comic book science fiction and movies and TV to tell us when something weird exactly. is happening what yeah, it is so, so, yeah you're gonna, you, we can only hope that you know the next in the next generation the next comic book writer you know will have something of a, a better grasp on the subject you know so the next big uh, pop culture hits you know will be closer to the real thing you know what? And I've said this before too. Remember the end of the last Indiana Jones movie when all the alien stuff happens? Yeah. And they ask them where they're from, and that the the answer is we come from the space between the spaces. I love that. Yeah. That is that is the best explanation in a pop pop culture way that I've heard for some UFO stuff. An explanation, not the, but yeah, it's a really good example. And I don't know who got that or what yeah, screenwriter or where it came from, but it's wonderful. Yeah, the fact that in the, that Indiana Jones movie was such a commercial flop, you know, maybe it speaks to the fact that people may not be ready to 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 accept the reality of UFOs. You know, they still maybe really not. clinging to the idea that no UFOs need to be extraterrestrial vehicles. Yeah, well, maybe it's also it's probably one of the worst of the Indiana Jones movies <laughs> for other reasons besides that. But yeah, yeah I'm sure. That, I'm sure I you know having that it. as a bow tying up at a bow at the end probably made a bunch of people go, huh? What? Yeah. You know, they're not from another planet. What does the space between the spaces mean? The space <laughs> on another planet? No, 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 no. We're, we're using space between the spaces because it's the only language we have to say that we're not coming from a, a place that, as you know it. Yeah, exactly. I love the idea that the phenomenon seems to to communicate through us uh, to us through uh, symbols, right? Yeah. It is uh, something that uh, this guy, oh my God, the guy who uh, wrote uh, the Chaos Conundrum. Aaron Gullias? Exactly, Aaron Gullias. Sorry, know. Aaron. You can Sorry, uh, punch Aaron. me through the uh, phone if you like. I still have your book and I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but he 
uh, when he was in your show, you know, the idea that this entity seems to uh, uh, communicate to us through a meta language or sorts, you know, going beyond language because language is so limiting, you know? Yeah. Killing a fly with a sledgehammer. Exactly, you know, I mean, uh, the idea, it's it's so weird, you know, the idea that it seems to be what my client says, it's a truism in the contact experience that these the aliens are telepathic, you know, so they are communicating with the abductee or the contactee, you know, through telepathic means. Yeah. And... And in, at the same time, you know, that's so weird because if if you're talking about an alien entity, you know, the, he, its mental processes should be so beyond our capacity, you know, that even communicating through the most basis of simplest things should be something of a insurmountable uh, ordeal. Yeah, it'd be like us trying to talk to fish or something. Oh, yeah, or an ant. Yeah. Yeah, I remember... Uh, or a whale. I, yeah, l- last, <laughs> year, I, last year I read uh, Ender's Game, you know, because I wanted to read the book before I, uh, I saw the movie. Yeah. And I, I really like the idea how the, the, uh, this alien race, they call it the... the I can't remember the name right now. So the idea is these aliens that that were like ants, you know, like an ant colony, and they were telepathic. And because they were telepathic, they didn't need to to have something like a language, uh, like a written language or even books, because they already communicated. Everything that, that was... Part of their knowledge was transmitted to every single uh, uh, member of their species. Yeah. Instantaneously. So, you know, makes you wonder, you know, why is it that uh, aliens, if they are aliens, you know, are you able to communicate telepathically with... with, uh, with the abductees, and why is it? I also think of Travis Walton and his uh, abduction experience. You know, he has these experiences, and he meets these like human-like uh, entities, and they never talk to him. You know, not even telepathically. So, what happens that, there? Yeah, who who knows what's going on there? Exactly. You know, and did he not have the? You know, uh, given that he, something happened to him. Which, if you accept, you yeah, then we can talk about these things. Um, what, <laughs> yeah? Did did he need anything like that? Did whatever he was in, you know, in, in interacting with have the capacity? Like you said, maybe that. Yeah, that's. What, I think that's what you're getting at. I just got it now. That mm-hmm. they don't have the capacity to even communicate that to him. And it's like that silly South Park. It's like you know, what do you want us to look like? <laughs> And exactly. his mind's already decided what the thing's going to look like. It's going to look like something that's, that's after these strange-looking gray aliens or whatever they are. Uh, now something returns that is more acceptable to his brain that he can uh, he can continue the experience with. And it might have been his fault. Yeah, like for example, when people have the near-death experience, and and a Christian will see the being of light as they will interpret. It, interpret it as Jesus, yeah. and a Muslim will interpret it as Muhammad, 
yeah. and Buddhists will interpret it as uh, uh, Buddha, you know, and maybe someone who has doesn't have such a fixed a religious idea will say, well, you know, the being of life will say, what, what do you want me to be? You know, maybe I will, it will be square, uh, SpongeBob, you know, or, yeah. or Donald Trump or like, or or like South Park where it's a, what is it? A taco that craps ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's closer to the truth than Jesus or Muhammad. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Closer to the truth is, Whatever you want it to be. Exactly. Back to that interaction thing, I guess. Yeah. So maybe the truth is, you know, whatever you need at that specific time, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's what you need to be able to process the, either from your point of view or from the whatever the other thing's point of view is, um, to be able to process it. Probably mostly you. Exactly. Because I don't think, no matter how much people say about, you know, the aliens control your brain pattern, control your thoughts and all that. I don't think whatever it is is controlling our thoughts. We just think they are. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's easier to accept that way. I don't know. See, if I had gone through this experience myself or something I thought was this experience, I wouldn't be saying these things. Um, I had Peter Robbins on and I said, how can you say that everything that Bud Hopkins did and said and researched and, you know, how are you completely on board with it? Because I know Peter, and he's not, you know, he's not a stupid person at all. No, by now. No, he's not, I, I he doesn't respect. blindly follow anybody or anything like that. He's a very smart, independent thinker. Yes. And I, I finally, we finally got to the point where I said, I didn't go through what you went through. If I did, I might be more slightly on board with this or more on board as you are. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's the problem with a lot of these things is that we, it's, it, the stuff is so weird that the way you present it to other people is, you know, you can either present it the way you think it is, which is, you know, how else can you present it? Forget it, or change it to a way you think other people will accept. Which is a yeah. tough one with all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it makes me think that each and every one of us, you know, has a, a role to play, you know, and uh, some kind of part to play in this cosmic stage. And maybe some of us has to play the role of a skeptic. Some of us has to play the role of an experiencer. <laughs> and some of yeah. us, like you and I, you know, have to play the role of trying to figure this shit up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you I mean, know, that's which all is I best, can do. I don't know. I think it's probably best that you and I don't go out and talk to witnesses and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to them. Do, but do you want... Do you yearn to have the contact experience yourself? I don't care. And that's not ah. a negative. I'd be fine if I did, and if I don't, I don't mind either. Okay, so At this you're, point. if you go to your grave without ever seeing, you know, the mothership with it, the lights and this and the sounds, <laughs> you're, 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 perf- you're perfectly fine with it? It would make me happier if I had some sort of inkling of what's going on, yes. But if I don't, I don't mind that much. I got a ton of other things I'm interested in, just like a lot of people. And it, that would, you know, what it would be icing on the cake, maybe. Exactly. That that, very, that that it would be fine. It would be nice. It's very, it's a very, very wise attitude on your part. I feel. <laughs> because I, you know, what do you do? Force it? No. Mm, no. I kind of feel that this 
this type of stuff if you try to force it? Like, I feel like UFOs are like women on a bar, you know? You're, you're <laughs> trying, if you're too interested, they know it, you know? And they feel like you're a creep and they stay out of you. Yeah, maybe so. I, 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 I don't know. Or the, the thing is, if you're that into it, other people don't want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, even other people that are interested in the UFO thing, unless they're just as crazy as you. Exactly. In fact, I'm more interested in people that are hesitant about it than people that go whole hog. I mean, it's, it's that, that contrarian thing we were talking about earlier that you, were, that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel more comfortable with people who are still in that state of uncertainty. Yeah, what I would like to see is uh, the UFO community, the UFO community, starting to be less interested about what the U.S. the U.S. government may or may not know about yeah, screw UFOs. Them. You know, I mean, because they're never going to tell you, and they exactly. don't know. Exactly. You know, you know uh, something more. Oh, good for you, man. You know. I don't give a fuck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's try to find our answers uh, for ourselves. You know, you and I are not uh, fans of Stephen Greer, but even though I dislike his his posture and his attitude, I kind of like the idea of bypassing uh, government uh, authorities in order to have some kind of direct contact. With the, the phenomenon, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe the, so. I I totally hundred percent disagree with what he's whatever what his methods, but yeah, I exactly. Mean, you know, do it do it yourself. Exactly. The problem is that he put himself as the intermediary between you know whatever people want to be in contact with, quote unquote, the aliens. Yeah. and you know, and horrible uh, ego problems. I've got them too. Almost everybody yeah. I know has them to some extent. Yeah, uh, and time and time again, you know, you see that in every kind of spiritual practice, the the, the moment that ego goes involved, yeah. that's the moment that you, you know, that everything goes. Yeah, the uh, channel haywire. shuts off. Exactly, exactly. You stop learning and information stops being information and it just starts being some way to prop up the ego. Exactly. The, 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 the thing is, you know, the, the, the idea is to get rid of the ego. Yeah, and that that's a really tough one for us. Oh yes. I mean, at the beginning of the show, I was saying, "Ooh, Robbie Graham is saying this," and I, you know, we've been talking about it on the show for a while. Yeah, well, that's my ego getting in the way, but that doesn't get in the way of the message. The message exactly. is that, and probably as as we're almost concluding here, that people should take it upon themselves to, to uh, delve into the mystery and not and and not wait for Dad to say it's okay. Exactly. Or say, yeah, well, you were right all along. Ha, ha, ha. We were right all along. That, that, that's not, that, there's the ego again. Yeah. That, that's not the point. And I think that, you know, in the, in the larger sense, um, Bassett and people like that are saying, well, if the government says that they're real, that's the ultimate yes. And that's the Ugh. ultimate, you know, proof to the larger society and all the skeptics and everybody that says that we're, we're full of crap, that the, this really is going on and really is happening. The, unfortunately, they really, really going on and really happening in the way that they think it is. And anything different than that is going to be rejected as a cover-up or whatever. But, um, yeah, that, that's... That, this, I think things just... As you've suggested, things have gone off the rails in the last maybe 10 years. They sort of went off the rails during all the more and, and, and 
uh, uh, Doty and you know Vegas thing. But it, it was, you know, what it was, and the disclosure thing was growing pains. I think. I hope. I hope. So, yeah. So, I mean, maybe the the main idea is to stop thinking that someone will hand you over, you know, the, all the secrets of the universe, you know, to man <laughs> to to man up and face the mystery all by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's and it and it will be different for everybody. And even if it's on demand, I think even if it, you can do you can in, induce a UFO abduction or experience or whatever that whenever you want or like the weather. Like there's a, there, like somewhere in South America there's like a, a, a I saw and read about a permanent fl- lightning storm. It just goes on mm. almost all the time. So if you want a whole bunch of lightning storm going on, you know, constantly with booming and crashing and all that, just go there. Mm-hmm. And if they can do, if that can be done with a UFO or any paranormal thing, that'll be great. But you know what? It'll probably be different for everybody, and yeah, not in uh, a way that you can share directly with somebody until a tipping point of a lot of people have had the experience. And and it's kind of ironic because you know at the end of the day, each and every one of us is going to face the most paranormal event of all our lives. I mean, <laughs> All of our own, we are all going to die. Yeah. We're all going to face that great, great unknown all by our own, you know, without Stephen Greer, Barack Obama, you know, Greg Bishop, Red Bill John Kilowell. Each and every one of us is going to face that Raymond all on our own. I said, or Raymond Moody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I only hope I've said it a couple of times. I only hope that when that date comes, you know, I will be able to face it with more curiosity than fear. You know, if I, I if I'm able to do that, you know, then maybe I didn't blow it. I think most people are at the at the point where they know it's going to happen. If they can are lucky enough to be that way, to have that happen in their life. They don't really fear it. Mm. It's kind of not, I don't know about welcoming. It's an acceptance. Exactly. You know, it's like, well, it's, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. So let's just see what's going to happen. Um, yeah. Like uh, these uh, five stages of uh, uh, dealing with your own death. You know, first is denial. Then there was uh, like bargaining. The final stage is acceptance. Yeah. Uh, of uh, what is it called? Uh, trauma or something like that. Something like that, and I, I think, yeah, I guess it would apply to an impending, you know, end of your life too. If we could all live on the acceptance life uh, stage, all of our lives, you know, everything will be just be gravy, you know, right? Yeah, but I don't think you can get to that without going through the other stages because it, it, if you don't go through those other stages, the acceptance phase won't make any sense. Mm. Good I think point. it might be the way we're built. Yeah. You know, I, I <laughs> it, that's kind of I was in a Buddhist class for a while when I got married in a Buddhist temple. Mm. We had this thing is like, well, why can't people be enlightened to begin with? Or why can't people be accepting or whatever, have the nirvana or whatever to begin with? Why can't they just be like that, like you are when you're born or whatever? Mm-hmm. Well, the point is, it doesn't make any sense unless you've taken the journey to get to that point. It doesn't make any sense the way our brains are wired. Yeah, and and also something that I've been thinking about lately, that the idea is that 
you can't get enlightenment if you don't get rid of your ego because the moment that you are trying to get enlightened, you go through the meditation and all the practice <laughs> and you say, oh, oh, yes, yes, I'm enlightened. You don't get enlightened with that, you know. Yeah, well, there's the, moment the, there's say, the biggest oh, problem. With, yeah, the biggest the problem that with you, that was just saying "I" in the sentence. Exactly. The moment <laughs> the "I" gets involved, that's when you lose it. That sounds like an old Alan Watts thing. I used to listen to Alan Watts a lot, and he said the the, the student goes to the Zen master and says, um, uh, "I am having a spiritual problem, and I would like it. I would like to be able to not have the spiritual problem." And the Zen master says, who is asking this question? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something that uh, I was trying, to, I wanted to uh, uh, ask to Ram Hancock because he is, uh, he's written uh, these uh, novels about the conquest, the Spanish conquest of Mexico. Who Guarda, is this? I'm sorry. Right? I missed Graham this. Hancock. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, he's uh, taking a very, uh, what you might call a Gnostic view of the Spanish conquest, the idea that uh, both the Aztecs and the, the Spanish. Spaniards were deceived by this like demonic entity, you know, uh, that will appear as uh, the war god with Silopochtli to Emperor Moctezuma in the Aztecs. And the uh, Saint Peter to Hernan Cortes in his dreams, you know. So it, it's it's a very gnostic idea that the, this whole world is something of of a prison, you know, that was uh, constructed by this demiurge and his minion, the Archons, you know, in order to keep the mankind enslaved, right? So yeah. the, that's kind of the gnostic uh, mindset. But at the same time, uh, Graham Hancock has become something of the greatest advocate for uh, psychedelics and the idea that uh, when you take uh, ayahuasca, you know, one of the first things that the, these uh, plant teachers uh, teach you is that uh, this world is something of a paradise, you know, this world is the perfect world, right? The, yeah. That we don't have to go to another realm in order to experience bliss because we are already living in the perfect world. Something that, uh, do you know uh, who Duncan Trussell is? I've heard that name, yes. Okay, so Duncan Trussell is a comedian who is a very, uh, is, a, is a follower of this guy Ramdas, you know, who is a, a spiritual teacher and something. Richard Ram Alpert, Dass, who was a yeah. psychedelic researcher at Harvard with uh, Leary. Exactly, and Ramdas, you know, went to India and met this guy who seemed, who su supposedly was this enlightened master, you know, a guy who uh, named Maharaji. And the idea is that this guy Ramdas became convinced that this guy Maharaji was an enlightened being. And later, uh, Ramdas learned about, for example, the hunger, the famine that was happening in Bangladesh, you know, the, all the children that were dying of hunger. He wanted to do something about it, you know, trying to see how he might be able to help them. And he, when he told that to Maharaji, you know, he's this guru, this enlightened being told him, don't you see, Randas? It's all perfect. And to an, un 
to someone like us, you know, to to say something like that, you know, to that the idea of children dying of, of hunger, you know, will say, you know, this guy is an asshole, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but maybe to people who are in such a state of, uh, I don't know, of clearness or awareness, maybe they are able to perceive that everything is the way it's supposed to. So that's what I wanted to ask to, to Graham Hancock, you know. So which is it, you know? Is this world a prison created by maybe some kind of interdimensional entities that are trying to enslave mankind, something like in the Matrix, you know? Sure, the, if you want a downer the, universe, sure. Exactly. Or <laughs> is this just like the perfect world and, and we humans are just too thick-headed in order to realize it, you know, what it, which is what, you know? Yeah. What do you think? What do I think it is? Yeah. Well, is this a perfect world or is this a prison? I hate to say it because it sounds so new agey and glib and it's it's probably what you make it because it comes down to your personal experience of things after all everything you've everybody you've talked to and everything you've learned and everything you've opined and everything you've uh, all the changes that you've gone through it comes down to the person's view and attitude and yeah there is an external reality which includes everything the starving kids and suffering and bliss and everything but it's mm. up to you to 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 vote as to how you want to experience that Mm. I think that that that's what I've come to now. I mean, a, a lot of that comes from Wilson. A lot of it comes from uh, yeah, uh, uh, Leary and and um, Graham Hancock and all the even people like Valet and 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 Greg Little and and you and Micah and all this. All this comes into into play into what my opinion is. You know, Nick, Paul, Paul Kimball, everybody. It it and it's. It's that it's it's the Wilson thing, the loser script or the winner script. Yeah, I mean my And if you think things are good and you can keep learning, that's what'll happen. If you think yeah. things suck and everything's terrible and you shouldn't be alive and you know and, and the world's terrible, that that's you know, that's that's the world you live in too. But if you take, you know, a Buddhist middle path or or the, 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 the um middle way or or What's that called? There's a Western occult version of that, too. Israel Regardi wrote a book about it. But uh, if, you t if you take that middle way, you do what you can in the way that you can and understand what you can and accept what you can and, you know, and, and keep living and try not to get too excited or too lethargic or whatever you want to call it. A, a, a middle path, maybe, is mm -hmm. the best answer. Yeah. My own personal... Uh... Uh, answer to that question is that yes, in the end, this is the personal, the, this is the perfect world, and it is so great to be uh, embodied in this kind of uh, existence in which we can experience so much pleasure and also so much pleasure. So, the idea is that if there is a prison, the, the prison was put inside of our own minds, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, so so we don't realize that we are already living in paradise, but we all, but we all are so caught up 
in all our stupid, you know, try, uh, mindless dramas about, you know, trying to uh, keep up with the Joneses and all that shit. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the thing is, this world is perfect because it allows us, it allows us, uh, entities like us to evolve, you know, that's yeah. the perfection in this world, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, many uh, uh, spiritual practices call about the idea that in a, per in, a perfect, in a perfect state, you know, things are just the way they are, you know, so it's a, like aspect of uh, like uh, static, you know, in this, wor in this world, Things are able to have the chance to evolve, so that's the chance with, that we humans have to to grasp. You know, that's the gift that we are given in this world: the chance to evolve, to grow, to be to become more than we are already are. Yeah, that we have that choice. Exactly. So that's to me that's the the, the perfection of these realities. Yes, there is suffering, there is pain, there is darkness, but there is also a chance to, to to become more and to grow and to evolve. That's the that's the perfection in, in embedded in this lifetime. Oh so the, the perfection reality. Yeah. The perfection is the freedom. Exactly. But you have to yep. give that you have to give it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be in position to realize you have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not easy, you know. So you so you are dealing with a with a winner's script, as it's called, because you just you you basically said yes, it is perfect, and you have to avail yourself of that. Yeah, yeah. No, you have to deal. You have to take it all, the good and the bad. Yeah, the pain no, and uh, the yeah. suffering and the joy. Trying, yeah, trying to back away from pain and you know not have any pain or any problems in your life. It's just it's never going to work. You can't exactly. That's yeah, like yeah. that's striving for some, that's what's it called? That's uh, you're you're trying. That's the opposite of trying to be happy. You're trying exactly. to keep bad things away from you. Yeah, or, no, it's yeah, not. The, it's, it's the same our, thing actually. Our society is is so uh, against you know pain and suffering, uh, like. For example, I'm a, I'm a designer, right? I once read a, a, a catalog uh, uh, published by Herman Miller, you know, this, this company that uh, be, uh, uh, produces uh, office furniture. And I remember something that uh, was written in that catalog. The, the Herman Miller idea of comfort. Comfort is the absence of awareness, right? And... In a, uh, on one way, it makes total sense. You know, you the, what is the most comfortable shoes that you could buy? The, the shoes that you will feel You'll that notice, you are yeah. wearing. Exactly, right? The most comfortable sh uh, chair that you will sit on is the one that you will sit six hours straight and you don't really feel any discomfort. The problem is that when you extend and try to... to, to, to try to pursue that in every single aspect of existence right then comfort becomes something else comfort becomes numbness yeah and that's i think that is the the problem that our current civilization is facing you know we're trying to 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 become detached of existence you know we're trying to, 
by by trying to be comfort some some uh, in some podcasts say that in some podcast i list i listened to uh some time ago uh, someone said we mistook uh, comfort for happiness yeah yeah and that's that's i think that was the folly of our own our own civilization the idea that in our pursuit for comfort we thought that that was just the, the whole meaning of existence yeah which is i don't know if people are taught that but they're not <clears throat> in this country they're not there, there's no direction given, really. I mean, I didn't. Mm-hmm. The only the direction I had in school in this country was not do what you like or any of the stuff we've been talking about. It's just like you got to know all this stuff, and things are going to happen later, and you got to <coughs> deal with them and know English and math and all that. No, but the idea, for example, uh, for example, <laughs> I know I, I, you slip it into Spanish. You're getting tired. <laughs> yeah, uh, in, in we'll, we'll wrap it up here pretty soon. We're going like a half an hour late, so go ahead. Don't worry. In 1910, for example, uh, uh, think about what uh, their their idea of an automobile. You know, the Model T. Yeah, it was it was still something that was without a hood. You know, if you go. Uh, 10, 20 miles per hour, you will still have, you know, the whole thing, the the wind, you know, hitting on your on, on your face, you know, you will still be in, in in some way connected to the to the landscape, right? So, in 2010, the ideal concept of a car for the American people or for whichever people was the Humvee, you know? It's yeah. becoming like an extension of your living room, your right? Like the idea or, of... Yeah, or worse, an extension of your ego. Exactly. Like the idea of a, a part of your house that kind of detaches from your home and moves you from one play, point A to point B, you yeah. know? So it's like we are so trying to be comfortable that we are so are becoming more and more detached from reality yeah i i don't know what you know uh, the reality now is different than the reality 10 years ago or 20 years ago or you know when i was a kid i don't even remember what the reality was like when i was a kid i i vaguely remember you you know you had to watch tv when you watch tv you couldn't just watch whenever you felt like it and have things pick up for you Mm. You know, I, I did not, you can't, you couldn't get a a, a a bet settled immediately by looking it up on Wikipedia. So, uh, you know, what what does that leave us with? It's, uh, you know. A, let let wh- me tell you something, you know, uh, when you were a child, you were you were aware of the idea of uh, gated communities? I don't think we had them. Exactly. At least I wasn't aware of it. I guess there were some, but this was San Diego in the seventies. So yeah, but nowadays, you know, that's like the 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 highlight of you know, or the thing that people strive for. You know, yeah. to have if if you are you know trying to to make a living, you know, to live in one of those gated communities in, w- in which you will be like uh, protected, you know, from off. the outside world. Yeah. yeah. It's like going back to a, a feudal system in which you are, you know, you have some kind of a moat, you know, keeping you away from the yeah. hordes, you know, the Huns of, uh, that are going to come and pillage your village. What I think is really funny as you're saying this is 
I remember I used to be have to be told to come in the house. Now kids have to be told mm. to get out of the house. <laughs> no, that is that is so true, man. I mean, you know, the, uh, people are saying about you know, oh man, the. Uh, now, new the new generations are so the problem with the overweight and all. That that's because you know the the the, the moms are preferred to have their children playing inside their homes, you know, playing with or some a video game system or whatever, instead of worrying about having them children playing outside. Yeah. Well, maybe a lot of them have to work, and that keeps them from having to worry about it. So there's there's other factors at, at play here. Yeah. So, I which don't know. sucks. I mean, that's we're now we're getting on a downer, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, you know, getting it back to the UFO and paranormal and all that. There are a few. My wife works as a um, she's a uh, children's librarian, mm. and she says there's still kids, not a lot of them, that come in and they want to learn about stuff, and some of them. She says the weirdest and smartest ones, it seems like, they want to know about cryptozoology and ghosts and UFOs. Ah, beautiful. And she's like, you know, where can we learn about that? Can I? Can... And they're not looking it up online. They want, to, they want to, like, read books about it, some of them. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the time when I was a little child, you know, and I found, and I found books about UFOs in my uncle's library or something like that, you know, and that's... That's the kind of things that could really peer your life, you know, the path of your life yeah. at the right moment. Yeah. My dad told me, get any book you want out of the library, and I just ended up reading all the UFO and paranormal books. I don't know why. <laughs> I didn't read any other. I read a few of the other books. You know, I read, like, books about airplanes and stuff, and mm. I think Native Americans and some other stuff when I was probably six, eight, ten years old. But 95% of the books I read were just about weird stuff. So Ripley's Believe It or Not, you know, Guinness Book, Book of World Records. I read the, those entire books. <laughs> uh, let me ask you something. Did your father uh, ever have ever have a, a book about UFOs on, on, on your home? Nope. Nothing. Not a one. Wow. He's totally skeptical about it. Not dis almost uh, dismissive but not dismissive to the point where he would discourage me from it. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, that's fine, and he'd discuss it with me and present me a very skeptical viewpoint, and we'd leave it there. He didn't try to convince me of his point of view. He just said, think about these things. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. We don't talk about that stuff anymore. He's 84 now, mm. uh, and he can still talk to me, but we ended those discussions many years ago. However, we talk about other things now and have very deep discussions about them. But the thing is that, you know, that, that's, I think that's the point I was trying to make is that I was exceedingly lucky where I had a parent that said, go and find out stuff on your own, and I'm not going to tell you how to think about it. Very interesting. I mean, uh, I was also lucky, man. My, my, my parents... Or not what to think about it. He told me, he suggested yeah. how I should think about it, but he didn't tell me what to think about it. Exactly. Yeah, my my parents never never tried to beard or try to lead my way of thinking. You know, they were really very encouraging. You know, whenever I wanted to buy some kind of UFO books, they would be very accommodating in giving me the money to buy them. I think they're just happy you're interested in something. 
no, I think they were, they, they they already knew. No, I think that my father would would have been more happy if I had been more interested in something like sports or something <laughs> instead of books. Yeah, yeah. I remember my father trying to bring some kind of a full, a soccer ball, you know, in the house, and I say, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> you know, he, I, I never had was, that forced on me. I was put in little league for like three seasons, and I lost interest in it. And they said, "Okay, you don't like it, we'll try something else." No, man, you were so lucky. I remember my father is... uh, I had bad eyesight. That's why I didn't like it. I know that I disappointed him so much in the fact that (laughs) I was never able to to support him as some kind of soccer soccer star. star. (laughs) (laughs) You know, El Chicharito or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's okay because you ultimately got to do what you wanted. Yeah. Not that, way. you know, it's not where they're like, God, you could have been so much better. It's like, what, in your image? You know, yeah, I mean, my, my father's So daughter... many people have parents like that, and it's terrible. I mean, maybe not so much now, but people probably up to 10 or 12 years ago, maybe still, but, you know, I can see a lot of problems with people's, you know, personalities when I can see their parents still yelling at them about something. Yeah. Even though they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. Yeah, the the, the 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 phenomenon of the tiger moms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had one too, but luckily I got out of San Diego and went up to L.A. to go to school, so I was not under her influence anymore. Oh. Because she was telling me to do this and that, and you've got to do you know be a lawyer or a doctor or something something lucrative. And <laughs> I, as soon as I left home, I just stopped. I didn't even care anymore. I mean, I still carried it with me, but it I didn't have the pressure on me anymore. And when I went to school, I I majored in art history. That's not very useful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My father always resented me the fact that I decided to study this, this industrial design instead of engineering. You know, to say you could have been, you could have studied uh, some engineering in the Tecnológico de Monterrey and something like that. And say, yeah. well, I didn't want to man. yeah and look it, it's a lot more it's just as or more useful than anything he could have thought of because i don't know what he thought that design was except no, that well, it, it was he was surrounded by it all the time <laughs> no I, the problem is that in the in the end you know maybe i should have studied design really uh, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of in studying design because I felt it was something comparable to the Renaissance idea of knowledge. You know, people uh, like Leonardo okay. yeah, yeah. were engineers and artists and you know, scientists all at the same time. Yeah. I, like, I really felt uh, appealed to that concept. The problem is that in Mexico, you know, Design is something of uh, well, something that is um, unheard of and mm-hmm. uh, nothing that is sought by companies. Well, uh, anyway, so the idea is that I could have studied engineering. I could even have studied, you know, something like medicine of, uh, or, or something like science. But I wanted to combine uh, my passion for science and my passion for art. Uh, art. I, I thought see. that that could have been accomplished through design, but in the end, mm, 
that wasn't the case. That's okay. I'm working in video post production. It was not my it was not my dream when I was a kid. And I don't I don't have any great love for it. I don't care, but it's bearable and occasionally interesting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it allows me to do these things like like we're doing right now. And not starve to death. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, now if I could just go and try to my dream is to go to my boss and say, you know what, maybe I don't want to come to, to work on Fridays, yeah. you know, so I may be, may be able to read more of my, the pile of books that keep piling up here on my room, you know, every time I go to Paradigm Symposium and try to write more of the things that I want to write about on my blogs, maybe, maybe a future book or whatever, yeah. so well, that's, that's my, like, my dream. Yeah. Yeah, pick something and become obsessed with it. Exactly. That's that. That's the you know, that's the only way you can get anything done is to get a, anything writing or anything is get obsessed with it, and it's really yeah. hard uh, for a lot of people. It's hard for me now to get mm-hmm. obsessed with things with something. <laughs> you know what would finish it faster than anything else? If I got fired from my job. <laughs> oh, okay, so now I'm going to to wheel myself to use my 5D energy to to get you kicked out of your <laughs> job. <laughs> yeah, well, that that would last for I don't know. You know, the last time two times I was um laid off, not fired, but I was laid off. I was laid off for like 10 months and 11 months in separate occasions. I got a lot of stuff done in those the, mm. Those times, I you know, I, I rebuilt my website. I, I started doing the show again, all kinds of other stuff. So, um, otherwise, these things come very slowly. And also, you know, I, I've um, I've gotten married since I've been married six years. We just had our anniversary yesterday, mm. but uh, I've been married six. Thank you. Uh, I've been married six years, and being married slows things down too. Not you know, you, I don't regret it. Of course, but you have to spend time with your your person because that's why you're married, and you exactly. want to. So exactly, and that that takes away time from it too. So the thing that's, is, I have to get obsessed and make time. That's you know that's that life, that experience, that enjoying is part of the work. You know, that's part of the things that you need to have in order to uh, be part of the input that will be that will be placed in the in, in later in, in in your in your writing yeah and that's the other thing and, and you know this probably well too if you want to write something you're gonna to have to keep notes on things like i hear something interesting and i'm at pain sometimes to just write it down yeah yeah I, i've been i uh installed this evernote app in my phone and my yeah. tablet and my laptop in the hope that maybe sometime you know it will be useful you know i like have I like have I have like uh, well start six. doing it then because it's just if you hope that it's going to happen it'll just sit there. Exactly. If you do it, it's like a snowball. Yeah, it gets bigger and bigger, and if you're lucky, it turns into an obsession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the idea is you have to realize you know it's not going to be as perfect as you would like to be. You would like it to be. Oh, it's never going to be. It's not. Yeah, yeah, and then you know you just have to. You know, let it out. You know. Yeah. You, well, the thing, yeah. If you write something, anything, and you know this, it's just. I used to obsess over it and you know and change things while I was writing it and you know go back in the last sentence. Yeah. The the point is, it's just, yeah, like you just said, get it all out there, and then, may, you know, go back and look at it 
after you've gotten it all out there, that chapter or a couple of paragraphs or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I have to do that. I have to, and then I walk away from something for 24 hours if I can afford it that amount of time, and then I come back and look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, in segments, or if it's a blog post, I used to do that. I would write the blog post. I would concentrate on it for like three or four hours, finish it, and then I'd wait a day or two and go back and look at it. And I'd, I'd look at it. if it made sense, I'd post it, and if it didn't, I'd change it. Yeah. And then post it. <laughs> because otherwise, your your first draft of anything is rarely any good. It's, it's rarely exactly. what you want people to see, ever. Yeah. I mean, you have to... Who did that? Henry Miller, I think, maybe? Or or, or uh, Jack Kerouac did it. He just typed mm-hmm. everything out on a big, long sheet of paper, like a big roll of paper. And that was the book. He didn't go back and look at it or anything. He just sent it off to the publisher. Wow. And for good or bad, I think... I, I think some of Jack Kerouac's writing could have done with some rewriting. However, it was good enough on a first uh, first draft to be published and and be what it is, which is wonderful. But most mm-hmm. of the rest of us are are cursed with having to rewrite. Writing is rewriting, yeah. Yeah, we we get obsessed and say, "Oh my god, if, if I could just go back and fin- uh, change that comma in that paragraph, you know, yeah. and change that single sentence, you know. Yeah, uh, well, wait, wait till you have editors. Yeah. Maybe I might be starting writing for Fate magazine in the future. You should. Well, uh, I don't know I, how I, vicious I, their editing is. It depends on who you get, I guess. Exactly. I, I met uh, the editor of Fate uh, magazine, Phyllis. Oh, uh, yes. I, Phyllis is great. Micah is also very involved in Fate Magazine nowadays. Oh, okay. And they say, you know, maybe I could just uh, contribute with them. And I might, I might just do that, you know. I you have should. a bunch of ideas that I want to write about. If only I can find the right smartphone app that stretches uh, the length of day from 24 to maybe 30, <laughs> 30 hours a day, you know? Someone should try to, uh, to, well, to, you know, to do that. Make the time for it. I mean, I, I, I'm one to talk because I haven't been doing hardly anything. But, yeah, just, you know, make the time for it. Uh, let me ask you, when do you, uh, when do you find the most uh, suitable time to, to write? Uh, in the morning, in the, the late nights? Uh, basically very late at night. Okay. Uh, that 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 was my habit when I was writing a lot, because it is quiet. Nobody bothers me, and I have I I don't have a chance to go out and do anything because nothing's mm-hmm. open. I have mm-hmm. no excuse. Mm-hmm. And like I said, no nobody's awake. I'm the only. So I did most of most of my best. I where I thought things were working real well between like midnight and three or four a.m. Okay. Oh. No, but that's that's kind of tough. Well, that was me, and then you know, for a project beta that as the 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 uh, deadline approached, I had a really cool shift where I worked Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So okay. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I went down to my parents' house in San Diego, and I was left alone in 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 my bedroom with my computer. And all that happened is twice a day, my mom would say, "Come and eat." <laughs> and uh, that was perfect because it, it's I, I was basically uh, that, and the internet was very slow or non-existent at that point down there, and I I couldn't I didn't have an excuse I didn't, I couldn't go messing around on the internet because there wasn't any exactly so I had I, that was also a perfect and that there I wrote like you know ten hours a day for like you know weeks at a time awesome. just to get the damn thing done at the end 
Yeah. Because most of it was written in the last month before it was due. Half of it, probably a third, a third of it was written before, before that. In the last month or two, the rest of the two-thirds was written. And then, you know, and rearranged and rewritten and edited and all that by me. And then it went to Patrick Quige at uh, Anomalous, or I mean, um, Pairview Pocket. Uh, and uh, he changed almost nothing. I think he, he didn't change anything. He didn't change a word, which wow. was really nice. He had me change the uh, order of two chapters. And he also suggested at the beginning, make it, write it like a story. Mm. Tell a story from beginning to end. And he was right. That's he said, imagine you're writing, write, you know, because people buy things for movies, but said, imagine you're writing a movie about it. So I had to think about it in cinematic terms. That's why the opening is, is uh, sounds like the opening of a movie. Yeah. Because Patrick said, make it sound like a movie. And he was yeah. right. He was totally right. I remember the, uh, one of the best books I have uh, read in this subject is uh, Mutants and Mystics by Jeffrey Kripal. And he uh, uh, points the idea that these kinds of phenomena is, are better understood from a narratively point of view than, rather than an empirically, empirical point of view. You know, at the end of the yeah. day, these these are all stories. You know. Yeah, well, I you know what my one of my favorite sites is is Albert Rosales's site, the humanoids, because yeah. all it is is like thousands of little stories. Exactly. And it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, people say, oh well, maybe he just he maybe he shouldn't just you know accept all those stories because maybe some of those are just uh, you know. Uh, Foxes and all that, you know, but I kind of like the idea that he just keeps them all, all in one site, you know, yeah. un unfiltered. Yeah, unfiltered. Right? That's that's the best thing he could possibly do. And and, and uh, he's he's been on the show and told me his reasoning for it, which is I don't want to filter anything because he thinks it would be a bad idea. And exactly. I, don't even think, I don't even think he gave an explanation for it. And he doesn't have to because there isn't really one. Except for that, if you start filtering stuff, you might miss some cool stuff. Yeah, and, which and is... if somebody's using it as a database, if you filter them, oh, that's not important. It could be one of the most important things ever, even though there's only you know two percent truth in it. Yeah, that was exactly what uh, uh, Jacques Vallet uh, told uh, George Knapp when he tried to point uh, propose the idea of creating this kind of world. Worldwide database of UFO cases, you know. The, what did he say? The what did Valet say? Of, yeah, the idea of if we start to try to, you know, filter out, you know, the the cases that we feel, oh, this uh, this is just not important. This is might this might be just uh, uh, bullshit or some yeah, well, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Who, yeah, who you made you? Who, who made you the reality judge? Exactly. Exactly. The, if you start to do, do to do that, you might just be like you said, you know, uh, missing out maybe the key factor that will explain away oh, the whole of the phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's like a, uh, a, a a cop like ignoring one part of a case that that breaks the whole thing open because they think it's useless. Exactly. You know, well, that doesn't fit in with what we think it should be. Well, yeah. you know, if you followed it. Um, it might open a door that you didn't know even was there. 
because it's, mm-hmm. it has a stupid sign on it or whatever, or it says men and you're a, you're a woman or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the greatest thing about the UFO phenomenon is that it continuously challenges your, your little neat concept of reality. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it attracts people with kind of maverick personalities because it's a maverick thing. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly what I wrote. I said it, it's like a, it's like something sitting outside the barbed wire fence that people tell you that you're not supposed to go past and, and, and poking, it, poking fun at you and making fun of you and, and teasing you and saying, come out here. This is everybody, all your, you know, all the academics and the scientists and everybody that's supposed to know exactly what's going on has told you and put up this fence saying you can't, that, that, that doesn't exist. It's outside the fence. And hundreds and thousands of people are witnessing things that aren't supposed to be outside that fence. And if you've got kind of a maverick personality, you go, I want to see what's outside that fence. Screw the barbed wire. I'm going to tear myself up and, and climb over it. Mm. And I think that's what keeps me coming back to it. And that, that's why I like talking to you and, you know, going and looking at Rosales' site, the humanoid site, or any new kind of book with a different idea in it, because it's, 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 it's cutting more parts of that fence open so I can go look myself a little bit better. And maybe I'll get more confused, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, it, at, at, the, at the end of the day, at least it makes life more, much more interesting. Yeah. We've been talking for three hours, and I'm yeah. going to post the whole thing. <laughs> I don't care. It's great. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I should probably go home because I'm still sick from last week, and I should probably get some sleep before I have to okay, go to work man, tomorrow. Don't worry. I mean, you know it. We can do this uh, every other day. Yeah, we can. I mean, I don't think. We probably went over some of the same stuff we went over in the last couple of shows when you were on, but I don't think so. I think most of it is other stuff. In fact, we got into questions of, you know, life, the universe, and everything that we didn't really talk about last time, and I enjoy it because mm-hmm. it has a bearing on the UFO and paranormal stuff. It definitely does. Yeah, exactly. And um, we, both of you, both of us have changed in the last, I don't know, 10 months or so. Yeah. Yeah, what I need is to try to find a way to have you and Paul and Adam, right, you know, speak in the same kind of uh, event. Well, I'll talk to Micah. I thought that was going to happen last time. But I don't have a book coming uh, out, so I I'm, don't know. I'll come uh, back and do my ufology needs to be killed uh, speech. But that I think that's already been repeated by other people. That was I'm the last talk th- I ever gave, and I think it was a good reason for it. I'm going to draw my magic sigil somewhere, you know. I'm going to time to wheel my intention in order to bring you all inside uh, the same uh, <laughs> venue. Because I, I know Nick always has something, uh, uh, go, and rightly always, ha- oh, Nick already was there. rightly always has something good to say and something yeah. new to say. And uh, I, c- I can be made to. I think that you and Paul and uh, all of you have something very, very important to say. Oh, yeah, and Paul, too. Bring, bring Paul the, over there to make everybody get up and start throwing things. Exactly. Because he'll make them do it, and it'll be, there will be a good reason for it. Mm-hmm. And the people who attend the Paradigm Symposium will be very open to the things you have to say. Even if, you know, people might not agree 100% entirely to it. Wow. See, that's, that's a difference with the Paradigm Symposium. If you've got an audience that's kind of open to things, even if they don't agree with it. Because I've been to a lot of things where 
I will specifically say something unpopular just to see what happens. And not not because I don't agree with it or because I want to piss people off. I just mm. want to see what the reaction is. Exactly. And discuss it with people. You know, you can't say that. It's like, why can't I say that? Or I know that something crashed at Roswell. It's from another planet. How do you know that? Well, uh, we have the pieces of metal. Well, what does that prove? You know, um, well, they're going to be analyzed. It's like, you haven't even had them analyzed yet, and you're telling me that you already know what they are. That, do, you <laughs> see the, do you see the logic, the problem there? And he's like, well, you're being really mean. It's like, I'm not being mean. I'm telling you in a nice way what people in the greater public are going to do if you present this information to them now like this. You're going to run undercover agents. Yeah, they're all going <laughs> to laugh at you. Have something that you think can stand up anywhere, and then you got something. That would be great. Yeah. No, but apparently I'm just being mean. Yeah. Uh, things are different in Paradigm. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, it sounds like it. It, sound, it, it, gives, it gives one hope. No, it really is. <laughs> All right. I, I am, I, everybody says, I'm going to let you go, which means I need to go. So I'm going to let me go, if that's all right. No, it's perfectly <laughs> right. We need to do this more often. I think so. You know, I, I haven't had this much fun in a show in, in a while. In, no. in three weeks since the last time I did a show. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really, no, I'm really, you are one of my favorite persons in this in this wacky world of the Fortean blogosphere, Greg. Well, thank you very much. Likewise, ever since you started commenting on UFO Mystic, and I went, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's not being a dick. <laughs> and he's saying something, you know, he's saying something intelligent, which is few and far between. Although, the, the, you know, you kind of hang out with the people that's like, you know, and you kept saying stuff that made me think, which I really liked. So. Even if I say it a couple of times that you were kind of a webon. A what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I think that's a term of endearment. <laughs> but you are my favorite webon. Scene. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Okay. I, I, I feel honored. <laughs> all right. Buenas, Buenas noches, noches. And thanks so much. Sale pues. Oh, do you, ha do you have? Ask the way. Hey, do you have a song that you want you want me to play? Mm, when that's a good question. Do you have something else from Café Tacuba? Uh, how about uh, La Locomotora? Okay, so I'll play that one. I love that song. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll leave that on there when I post it. Perfect. Oh, you want to listen to it? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. You know what? I will. I will uh, record this and then put it on clean uh, when I post the show. Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll talk to you soon, Red Peel. Okay. See you later. Thanks. Oh man, was that fun. Anyway, here's uh, Cafe Tacuba with uh, Locomotora, and uh, we'll see you most likely next week. <laughs> <laughs>